1: Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
2: Hey, it's Gonzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
3: Initialize sequence.
4: Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Bald Face Truth.
2: Every Thursday as a kid... I used to mosey on over to my parents' mailbox. We lived a little rural, so we had literally a mailbox that was on the top of like a four by four post, old-fashioned mailbox, very standard. But I would mosey over, and with great hope, and and I would open the mailbox, and I would look for that familiar glossy cover, and that magazine, Sports Illustrated that always seemed to be at the bottom of the mailbox with the uh, mail placed gently on top of it and I would scoop that baby up and I would stand in my parents' driveway, often barefoot middle of summer, late, late fall and I would look at that magazine and the first two things I always did A. I'm looking at the cover. Who made it on the cover? Who did they put on the cover of the magazine? Was it one of my teams? Because I can tell you, when I think about my favorite Sports Illustrated covers, they were kind of the validation moments for my teams and the players that I followed. Like the 49ers. The 49ers were not very good in, like, 1978, 79, 2 and 14, 6 and 10. Eventually, during that 1981 season... They go to the Super Bowl, and it is January of 1982 at the Pontiac Silverdome when the 49ers beat the Cincinnati Bengals. But the validation moment wasn't the Super Bowl win. i got to be honest with you. That moment of validation, the glory of Sports Illustrated, was that my team was on the cover. Dwight Clark, the catch, rising up against Everson Walls, Defensive back of the Dallas Cowboys to catch the ball in the corner of the end zone. Touchdown, 49ers. Touchdown for my childhood. All of that, of course, ended up on my wall. My bedroom wallpaper was not like regular wallpaper. I took every Sports Illustrated cover. After I read the magazine, because the first thing I would do is look at the cover. The second thing I would do is I would flip to the back of the magazine to read often Rick Riley at the back of the magazine. That was the second thing. And then I would pour over the pages, right down to faces in the crowd, looking at the athletes whose mug shots were in there, who had participated in high school or community college or some small college and got a little recognition. That Sports Illustrated experience, man, as, uh, as a sports fan, it was unmatched. Like, I also would pick up the Sporting News. It just wasn't quite the same as Sports Illustrated. Uh, and then there was Sport Magazine, which was kind of a knockoff. It was a little lesser than. But that Sports Illustrated experience was, was part of the fabric of being a sports fan. And getting on the cover of Sports Illustrated was a big deal. And the writers who were inside Sports Illustrated, big deal as well. Um, and... All of that ended up, you know, I would gently remove the cover and then I would take and I started with one lower corner of my bedroom and I would take the cover and I would uh, gently staple it to the wall. And then the next week I would staple the next cover next to it and so on and so forth. And by the time I left for college, my entire bedroom, the cave that I lived in was Sports Illustrated covers wall to wall all around my room it was mike tyson and tony mandrich and michael jordan and you know everybody in between nolan ryan to to uh olympic champions and i'm sure that it was a good idea at the time but i do know that when my parents said to me hey you know on one break after i came home from college could you take those covers off the wall we don't want to rip them up but uh you know we want to use the room for something else and I took the covers off the wall, and do you know what I had? I had Swiss cheese for a wall. I had so many staple holes in the wall that I had to fill. Spackle over, spackle over, paint over. But I loved it. I loved being a Sports Illustrated reader. And the news, of course, today essentially announcing the gold standard of sports, Sports Illustrated. Uh, Washington Post writing uh, uh, that the Sports Illustrated magazine is laying off most of its staff new york times saying sports illustrated thrown into chaos it was the best magazine in american history it was not just it wasn't just a sports magazine it was a lifestyle magazine and sports is it dead i don't know but it feels like it and for those of you who grew up on sports illustrated i want to know did you have a favorite cover does one come to mind was it March of 1980 when the USA hockey team was on the cover, waving the American flag and celebrating in Lake Placid a gold medal, victory over the Soviets? Was it like me that, you know, one of your your favorite athletes or your favorite teams got to the cover, Dwight Clark on the cover, Earl Cooper, the 49er running back, uh, turned tight end on the cover of the magazine that season? That was making it, baby, getting on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You tell me. As you hear that news, that, you know, Sports Illustrated isn't what it used to be in the last few years because it was bought by a private equity company, it was gutted, and uh, too often we hear the familiar story where, you know, you have a magazine or a business or a news entity or a TV station that is gobbled up by a private equity company and then squeezed and squeezed to the point where there's nothing left of it. All that's left of Sports Illustrated today is the brand and your memories and my memories. Now I reached out to Andy Staples, who wrote for the magazine, and I said to him, "Man, let's let's buy this thing. Come on, let's get this thing going. Let's let's rejuvenate it." And, but ultimately, it comes down to the fact that you know the way people consume their news today, even magazine style, is different. And I'm participating in that, right? Radio show, 3 to 6 p.m., weekdays right here, part of you, turns into a podcast for people who can't digest it in real time. Interviews are parted out and separated by our staff. And so if you subscribe to the podcast, you get the individual interviews, too, So you can share them with friends. Uh, meanwhile, you know, I worked at six newspapers and uh, TV work at KGW for 15 years, and I'm certainly participating in digital media because now at johnkanzano.com you can read me every day. It's just the same as I was when I was writing at the newspaper, except it's not hitting your driveway. There's no thud of the paper hitting your driveway because we all know over the years that thud got lighter and lighter and lighter to the point where it was hardly a thud anymore. Um, I really want to talk about this. I want to know what your favorite cover was of Sports Illustrated. I want to know, like, when you go to think about the Sports Illustrated story, does it make you nostalgic like it does to me? Because I just know that Sports Illustrated as a brand should not be gone. Like, it, this this magazine has been on dying breath for years been sold twice in the last decade i can't even tell you the last time i picked up the actual magazine the website's a mess um it's it it probably died years ago and we're only now today sort of lamenting the official death of sports illustrated but i want to know what you make of it and what you think of it 503-417-7575 we got a great show for you today john wilner barry Area news group will be with us to talk about all the chaos we've seen in the coaching carousel What is driving it? What is fueling it? Who will do better? Brent Brennan at Arizona, which had fish at Washington. Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. How will we judge these guys? We'll talk with Wilner about that. Matt Preem, 24-7 Sports. Like a lot of you, he's been dealing with weather. He has been without power. He got it back, thankfully, yesterday. But he's been, you know, he's been uh, all week long dealing with the same kind of ice and weather and uncertainty that you've been dealing with. He'll join us to talk about the Ducks basketball football programs in the Pac-12 as well. And we'll talk a ton of NFL. We got great games tomorrow and Sunday in the NFL. I cannot wait. We're essentially, you know, looking at the Elite 8. Uh, you know, and we're looking at the NFC best of the NFC and the best of the AFC playing it out as it should be. But let's go to the phone lines. Marks in Portland. Mark, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, how you doing? It's a great topic. I I had my two favorite sports teams ever, the the Blazers, of course, in the 70s and the Steelers. So I got to, as a teenager, I got to live. I peaked as a as a, as a fan. I guess my teens peaked. Uh, but I'd have to go with uh, Bill Walton and Jabbar on the cover of Sports Illustrated where it says Portland shocks L.A. when we swept the Lakers on uh, our way. And then the other one, the next one is uh, Portland goes all the way with Dr. J and the Blazers and us winning that. And then uh probably go with Lynn Swann making that acrobatic catch and it says Pittsburgh oh, yeah. And all. yeah 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 i was, mean that was classic great, when they, great they were uh, yeah it was and you, it was it was also Dallas the rival that that's the first big rivalry i think uh in the super bowl was Dallas and Pittsburgh and so that, that was it's a special moment they're all sitting i'm looking at them right now you brought me into the the hall of fame here you know uh so do you, it's, do you it's remember the one
2: you're a Steeler fan. Do, do you remember the magazine cover that just had Jack Lambert like sitting and he's grinning and he's yeah, got like yeah. missing teeth? Yeah. You know.
4: It's just... Yeah, the, yeah, that was beautiful. That that was Jack Lambert. I mean, he was the blue collar man. He he was the uh, great. That was a great team and a legendary team, and uh, it was so fun to watch the, those guys back then because it wasn't a. It really wasn't all about money back then, John. It was. It was. There was a lot of. The winning and losing was big. I remember Terry Porter with tears in his eyes when he lost, you know, in the finals because he wanted to win so bad. And I'd like to see some more of that in today's game with with college uh, and pro football.
2: Unfortunately, today's equivalent of the Sports Illustrated cover, it might be college football game day and where do they show up, right? Like we wait week to week. It's a big nod. But the problem is we know that so much of what college game day does is predicated by market size and it's not merit based. And the beauty of the Sports Illustrated cover, and it was apparent to me when I had like a couple hundred of them on my bedroom wall, like you could see the course of a year play out 52 covers at a time. It was evident that you could track time. Mike Tyson's rise, his debut, his rise, his fall, you know, all looking at the covers. Like, you know, he had the magazine where, you know, here he comes and here's Iron Mike and. You're getting to know him, and then the cover with him saying guilty after he was going to prison. I mean, it was just like a time capsule. Uh, Let's go to Eric, who's in Camus. Eric, welcome.
4: Hey, John. That was like reliving uh, a
0: a huge portion of my childhood and teen years and even early college years as you were talking about that. I did the same exact thing, uh, poster, you know, my walls uh, with, with the covers. And you're right. It is like a time capsule when you look at it and and you go, you know, you see the the different stretches of Jordan. Like for me, it was Jordan when he was retiring the first, you know, the first time and going into baseball. And you've got all these different covers of of his journey and then coming back to basketball. And so all of that was
2: just amazing. And, uh,
0: favorite cover
2: probably was Paulina Forrestova, one of the swimsuit editions. <laughs> I love it. No. And I'll tell you this. I was in high school. I was like, you know, 15 years old, 14 years old. I was in high school. And I had a friend who started the Kathy Ireland Fan Club. And part of the fan club was you had to have that Sports Illustrated issue. And that, that was your membership card, more or less. Uh, John, uh, Let's go to Jim in Vancouver. Jim, what are your memories? Well... I, I guess
5: I have to rain on your parade just a little. I guess this is like chocolate and vanilla. Personally, I liked Sporting News better because I thought their baseball major and minor league coverage was better. Mm-hmm. I realized Sports Illustrated was trying to be all things to all sports, but I I personally kind of went the other way.
2: Yeah, and you remember, like, Baseball America came along, and all of a sudden it was like you had the ability to really go down the rabbit hole. And But you're right, Sporting News – had all the box scores, and, you know, and then USA Today came out, and they came out with their daily, and then the National, remember the National came out? They were supposed to have all the greatest sports writers from around the country in one place. And uh, But but Sports Illustrated, it was a catch-all, right? Track and field and hockey and tennis, and I often found myself exposed to different sports that I never would have found without Sports Illustrated. Tony's in Portland. Tony, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I got. I got to admit, John. My favorite one would have to be Tyra Banks on the cover, and then there was the <laughs> Desmond
4: Howard Heisman pose. Yes, those are my two favorite right there.
2: Sprinting into the end zone, Desmond Howard. Yes. Uh oh, yeah. there you go. The look on his face—you never forget it, you know. And and look, I'm guilty of. I'm a nostalgic person. I, you know, I have a uh, room in our house. Where I sort of have put things on the wall. This isn't all that different than my childhood. I have a you know baseball bat that my dad played minor league baseball for with and used in a game, and I found it on eBay. And I have you know pictures of like Anna as she's uh, uh, coming up in her career. And uh, you know I'm just a, I'm a nostalgic person, but Sports Illustrated's covers, they did it. They they commemorated something. It was it literally was a time capsule in a period of your life. There's no magazine that does that anymore. There's no website that could duplicate that anymore in that way. I just wonder why we lost our appetite for it. You know, I, I wonder, you know, did we, would there still, like if, if somebody could buy the Sports Illustrated brand and go, we're going to go back to the good old days and we're going to put on that magazine, would, would you subscribe to it? Would you bother to read it? Ed's on I-5. Ed, welcome to the conversation.
5: Hey, I think just answering your question you just asked, I think the week-long time cycle kills it. So we're in a news immediately. You need to know everything that happened about last night's game to be able to read about it that night. And uh, I wanted to ask, I can't remember the year, but there was an April Fool's article about a minor league baseball pitcher that pitched in, like, combat boots. And I don't remember how. I think I was probably 9 or 10 but I remember reading that and just hook, line, and sinker talking to my friends about this guy that throws so hard. The catchers have to wear two gloves, and he knocks <laughs> them over, and just believing it absolutely. And, and my dad just smiling and going, yep, he must throw really hard, and, gotcha. just, you know, and not, not knowing that it was an April Fool's.
2: That was George Plimpton who wrote it, and it was The Curious Case of Sid Finch. And you can still find it online. It's terrific writing. Plimpton, I wrote about Plimpton today at johnconzano.com. It's very coincidental that it came up. And, you know, because Stan Landing had his brush with Michael Jordan and Jarek Jeter and, uh, and Travis Scott while he was in the Nike suite at the college football playoff game. And, you know, it reminded me of George Plimpton because Plimpton had written a book called The X Factor. And I sort of wrote about that book. Today, because Plimpton had played horseshoes with President uh, Bush, old President Bush, not the not W, and uh, he had lost, and he had noted that President Bush was a killer. Like, wasn't just a friendly game of horseshoes; he wanted to crush him, crush his spirit. And so it got me thinking about about Michael Jordan and the X Factor and the book that Plimpton wrote. And then I went down the rabbit hole, started looking at the paper lion. Plimpton had, you know, spent a an NFL training camp. He goes to training camp with the Detroit Lions and tries out to be a quarterback coaches in on the ruse players. The other players didn't know it. They just thought here's this third string guy. You know, there's no, no ability to look him up. They just thought George Plimpton was a backup backup quarterback. who was trying to make the Lions team. And Plimpton wrote the paper lion, which was a wonderful story about, you know, what a civilian would be like trying to make an NFL team. And, That was published in Sports Illustrated. And here we are in the sort of the days of Sports Illustrated. You know, it's probably been dead for a couple years. But it's really dead now. They're officially laying everybody off. There's nothing left of Sports Illustrated except the name. And I kind of just wonder, you know, the founders of The Athletic had an opportunity to buy Sports Illustrated. They passed on it. They examined it. They said, we can't make money on it. We, We don't know how to monetize it. I just wonder if somebody like Mark Cuban could buy it, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos, buy it and go, hey, we're going to go back to making it r- a real magazine. We're going to understand that the things in it cannot be current events. People are going to it's, it's going to really have to be magazine, so to speak, and really going to have to be stuff you could get nowhere else. If not, all we're left with, ladies and gentlemen, all we're left with, maybe maybe in the same uh, uh, vein as life, is those memories. So uh, cherish them. Take a mental snapshot today. Think about that favorite cover of Sports Illustrated that you had or you enjoyed. Uh, Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports, coming up next. He's been without power. He's been without power for most of the week. What does that do to a human being? We find out next. I still want your phone calls on the Sports Illustrated front. I used to go every Thursday, get into that mailbox, open it up, find the magazine, and just marvel at it. Who was on the cover? What did Rick Riley write? Uh, I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Matt Preem, 24-7 Sports, covers the Ducks, basketball, football, man of the world, father, husband, golfer, uh, also a guy without power this week. Uh, I've been texting with Preem all week. Uh, Feel bad for him. Told him he could come to my house, Uh, but he's like, couple hours away uh matt you have power back when did you get power back
6: i don't know the exact time uh i was working at a uh starbucks last night uh which by the way i saw a man fully with a full set of hair walk into the bathroom at starbucks he emerged with no hair i don't know where it went but uh
3: it.
6: it was interesting uh, came back, picked up my wife from her work, and we stopped by the house at like 6 o'clock to pick up some things before we went over to my in-laws, and our lights were on. So uh, very thankful for uh, some friends in the community who were able to put me in touch with an electrician and who was able then to put me in touch with eWeb to get... Something fixed with my house. Uh, it got um, the meter box got crushed, and it was kind of a chicken or the egg thing, where it was like, well, is it your meter that's which is your responsibility, or is it the box which is our responsibility? But they mm-hmm. got all got figured out, and uh, very thankful for all those people that are braving the elements, get it, repairing power for all of us.
2: What What do you know now that you didn't know before you lost power? I need a generator yes that's what i, I found that out <laughs> two years ago. I mean, how
6: much we all depend upon electronics, which like you you feel like you do like you did but you know everything everything- you know revolves around uh electricity in your life, and everyone revolves around more more so now internet i mean i I literally was operating on my phone for a few hours each day that I was trying to work, but it's like, well, how much can I do? Should I do? If I only, if I know every 10 minutes that I sit on my phone, it's going to use 2% of my battery. Oh. Uh, you know, how, how much, how, how much do you dictate that? Uh, or yeah, I, I learned how dependent we all are on electronics, relying on technology, which in the hindsight, it's kind of sad.
2: I thought I was tougher than I am, and I learned that a couple of years ago when we lost power for three days. I had about a good day, day and a half, and then I was a slow sort of spiral into despair. Where I was going, <laughs> this isn't good. This isn't bad. Now you sent your kids to to the in laws, right? You at least had that.
6: Yeah, they had power, um, so they they live up the street, and so. When we lost power, we just didn't wake anybody up, um, and they went to bed. We woke up next morning. Uh, we tried to figure out some things to do in town that, that had power to kind of get them out of the house and do some stuff, uh, and then once we ran through all those items on the list of things we could do, haircuts, errands, gas up the car, um, we then took them over to the in-laws. So they, they, were, they were there fine, and honestly, like, I, my, my bedroom is the second story of our house. Um, it, I would like to think it's fairly well insulated, but sleeping in 45 degree weather in my house actually didn't bother me as much as I kind of anticipated it would. You're tougher, now man. hanging out during the day is another story, but <laughs> if, I had to sleep, if I had to sleep, it wasn't that bad.
2: Matt frame with us wilderness man in his own home. He's got power now. Um, <laughs> Hey, I've been talking about Sports Illustrated. I, I want to know from you, yeah. like, do you, you know so if if Sports Illustrated's dead? There's part of me that's nostalgic. I I loved looking at the cover, reading the magazine. Do you have memories of that magazine? Do you have a favorite cover?
6: Yeah, I mean, I I I didn't have the love of of the magazine as some did, where they knew the day it showed up on their mailbox. Um, but I still read it as a kid, and I remember whenever Oregon. I grew up in Eugene. I grew up rooting for Oregon um, as a kid. So, like, I remember when Joey Harrington and Ken Simonton were on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the swords poking through the other mascots, um, you know, stuffed animal. Like, that was a big one. That one's probably still in one of my drawers somewhere in my house. I have a copy of that one. Um, LeBron James, the chosen one, was a big deal just because, I was in high school around the time he was in high school. He's a little bit older than me. And it was kind of like one of those, that guy is one of my peers and he's on sports illustrated. That's kind of weird. Um, cool rich four and O Oregon duck. One is one yeah. that at the time is really cool. In the hindsight of that season, um, not nearly as big as it used to be, but it's still a cool moment. And, it was a sign that, like, when you got put on Sports Illustrated's cover, like, you were the story of all of sports for that week, which was a pretty clear indicator of how big of a thing, you know, you were, or the team was.
2: Yeah, and I think that that cool, rich uh, cover that Oregon was on, you know, that was a big deal, and now College Game Days kind of replaced that as, where's game day going has become a bigger and bigger thing, and... We know a lot of that sometimes is driven by media and brand and you know what what the network wants wants it to be, but I don't I just don't know if it'll ever be replaced by anything else. I don't think it has been. Um, Matt Preem is with us, twenty four seven sports. The um the the Pac twelve basketball season. Can we start there a little bit? Dana Altman and the Ducks. Their woes at Colorado continued last night, and Folly Dante looked wiped <laughs> out. He looked gassed, man, late in the game, but yeah. What's going on with Colorado? Like in Oregon's inability to to get a W there.
6: It's super weird, you know. Like it's one of those things where, if if you said okay, they play eleven times and you know Colorado wins seven of the four or seven of the eleven, like like okay, understandable. It, it's just a place. It's hard to win. It's road games, but the fact that you know. I'm sure Dana Altman's kind of happy they're never going back to the Boulder again unless he openly chooses to, to be a glutton of punishment and go back there as a non-conference game. Um, I don't. It's it's one of those greatest mysteries uh, for Oregon basketball under Dana Altman. They just have never played well there. Um, it feels like every game is a blowout, uh, and it feels like every game is a struggle for them to play. And then the the, the what makes it even weirder is you go then look at the, the series against Utah and at Utah or it's like inverse Oregon just dominates the Utes in basketball every single year. It feels like I think Oregon has only lost at Utah like once or twice during uh, Altman's time with the ducks as well. So it's a weird phenomenon. One that you just really can't answer. They, they didn't look very good at times last night. They didn't look, even remotely close to who they were at times. And then in other moments last night, they looked like the team that had won five games to open league play. Um, You were right. Dante looked completely gassed, plus the elevation, having to play against a a formidable center in Lampkin. Um, Cody Williams is an absolute stud of a freshman. Um, And I, I think they, you know, Colorado played some of their best basketball of the season, which is, a common occurrence whenever Oregon comes over for whatever reason.
2: I, I still think Dana Altman will figure it out. It just kind of felt to me like last night, they're still trying to figure out how to play with Folly Dante healthy. 100%. Yeah. Conference is wide open. Colorado's really streaky, but good. Arizona's got a lot of talent, but they've had some down nights. Washington state's really well coached. They're solid. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see who shows up in Vegas at the conference tournament and and uh, how this all pans out. And I do think Oregon's a tournament team. You agree with that?
6: I do. I think projections show them there as well right now. Um, They can't lose, or they can lose on Sunday to Utah. Um, That would hurt them. Uh, It wouldn't knock them out of it. But this is an important stretch. Uh, They've got to get a split on the road. That would really enhance their resume. They've got to probably get, A a split in two weeks down on the LA schools. Um, Ideally, you almost kind of say they got to get both, considering where those two programs are at and and the injuries and the struggles that they've dealt with. Um, The Arizona game here in a week in Eugene is is absolutely monumental, and it's one where it's a must win just because you're not going to get an opportunity like that against that quality of an opponent very often this season. Uh, and, and a win, you know, the, the, the impact of that win is four or five times the value of a of a win at Utah or, you know, a, a game you know a game against USC or UCLA this season. Um, a loss doesn't hurt you, but a, a win could change your season. I, I, I do think they are a tournament team, though. Um, they have pieces that that are unique. I think Shelstead's one of the best guards in, in the conference. I think he's one of the better freshmen in the country. Um, and it's a unique one where I don't think he's also an NBA player yet. So you've got that chip in your in your hand where you know you're going to have him for a couple of years. Um, Dante is once he gets back, like he was, I think plus ten last night on the floor. Uh, you know, one of the few players that Oregon had a positive plus minus with against Colorado. His issue was they just a he had some fouls that three fouls in the first half. Two of them were really silly fouls. One of which was a foul by him that he never should have made on a moving screen. And I think said probably set him up wrong. And then another one was just a very questionable call, uh, by the officiating, which both w- was terrible for both sides. Um, there was like 28, five fouls combined in 28 minutes at one point in that game, very inconsistent. Um, but Dante, once he gets his legs under him, he's going to, you know, he'll, he'll anchor that, that team. And then you've got, you know, some guys on the wings that are that are pretty darn good. Um, that can do some unique things for Oregon's team. And it's just, do they have enough time to, A, get their legs underneath them, learn how to play together again while not losing uh, some some games and claiming some important ones and positioning yourself there? I think they will. I think they'll make the tournament. I think they've got a chance to win the league. They're still in first place, uh, even though that game last night was pretty ugly. Uh, and you know everything is set up for them to make a run. Now it's just up to them to be able to execute and do it.
2: Let me ask you, I'm gonna to pivot to football a little bit, but you sure. know, I I'm looking at Washington's hire of Jed Fish. I'm looking at Oregon and Dan Lanning, his recommitment to the ducks, whether he was off of the job or not or had a shot, I think it's it's good. It's clear he's staying. Um is it possible Oregon comes out of all of this coaching mess in somehow in a better position? Like no you don't have to deal with the board at Washington, go into the Big Ten. Looks like you know, might not have to deal with Jim Harbaugh or anybody else. Like it's it it is kind of lining up for Dan Lanning a little bit.
6: Yeah, Oregon Oregon has positioned themselves really well. Um I do think you you could argue that Dan Lanning wasn't offered the job by Alabama and that, that may be true, but it's probably true because they called and asked for his interest and he said no chance and they just immediately went a different direction. Um I don't think the coaches that release those videos, whether it was Norvell or Sarkeesian um, or Lanning, you know, they don't put it out there that they're passing on Alabama unless they know that they've said no to Alabama. Like, it, it, it's not just Alabama. Dan Landing, if, if if Dan Lanning was approached by Georgia, and he if, if the Georgia job opens up and he, he says, I'm staying, I'm not going to Georgia uh, before – Georgia even calls him. Like, no coach is going to do that. like to Put it out there blatantly like he did. Um, so I, I think he was offered the job, or they, he was at least contacted before DeBoer. Um, he said no, and as things have fallen, the system's broken. Like, two teams made the college football playoff, and their rosters are completely gutted from that. Um, that shouldn't be the case. But Oregon is benefiting from it. They might get one of Washington's star returning players, and Jabbar Mahavan. He's going to be on campus for an official visit, a cornerback uh, that, that Oregon's trying to get. They're considered the favorites by many. Um, Texas is looking at him. DeBoer's trying to get him to, to sign with Alabama. Um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, from a the portal perspective, players have talked about the strength continuity that, that Oregon's roster has from a roster standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. Um, recruits have talked about that as well. Um, and I think you look at division streets work and roster retainment, like there's only really two players, three players that you look at who have left the team that you go, okay, that's kind of a head scratcher. He was going to be a player next season for Oregon. That's rising senior Triquez bridges, who was probably going to be third, fourth, best corner on the team, maybe even fifth, depending on now that they've added a couple guys at that position. He landed at Florida and the other two were freshmen. Cole Martin, a, uh, a freshman that played in all 13 games, primarily special teams and a little bit of nickel, a little bit of safety, but he wasn't going to start next season. And Dante Daldell was a was a four-star freshman running back that wasn't going to start next year and wasn't even going to be in the top three of Oregon's you know running back room. He was, those you know those two freshmen were long-term guys. I, I think Division Series has done a really good job for Oregon maintaining its its roster. They haven't had any of these big names that are starters say, you know what? Like, I'm not getting mine. I'm going to go somewhere else and get paid. Uh, all those guys came back.
2: Matt, I'm glad you're warm. I'm glad you got electricity. I know you'll never take it for granted again. Now, uh, get, start start Googling generators, and, uh, and you'll – You'll probably uh make a purchase here at some point, I'm sure. My
6: my my search history is uh wild. It's gone from hotel rooms in Phoenix air airfare to Palm Springs generators. <laughs> um, you know, I've snow track shoes. Uh, my my social media ads on Instagram are all over the place. It's not my normal golf stuff. <laughs> I
2: love it. All right, Prem, thanks for joining us. Stay warm, stay safe over the weekend. There he goes. Matt Priem, uh, 24-7 Sports, and find him on Twitter as well. Our big splash is coming up, and it's not good for DeAndre Ayton. Leave it here. we got great sound for Punch it Audio coming up at 4 o'clock. Make sure you're here for it. Steven, I haven't asked you about your favorite uh, Sports Illustrated uh, cover. Do you have one that pops into your head?
1: Yeah, there's a couple. Uh, one is the Ken Simonton, Joey Harrington uh, issue where they are both on the cover with the uh, Swords through the other's mascot. That's always a good one. Um, the other one I always remember is the Jason Fife one in 2003 after the Ducks beat Michigan to go to 4-0. Um, and then thinking back to that, you know, the Ducks lost three games in a row right after that, and it was the whole Sports Illustrated jinx that we all talked about for a while right. Right, as well. So um, that was a big one. Another one I remember having um, when I was a kid was uh, and seeing it around was the Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler Uh, road basically like like they're on the collision path to the finals. That's a really big one that I liked. Um, and then there was another one we talked about sporting news. Like, I was a big sporting news guy, so this is you know a little off Sports Illustrated, but there was one I remember we have it hanging up at my parents' house, and it's a uh, it was a what if edition and it had Michael Jordan in a Blazers uniform. And that is always uh, that was always a big one in my house. That's sporting news, but I was a big sporting news guy. But Sports Illustrated, you know, you're right, like it's one of those things as a kid, I remember just going through it and just reading it and just you know, just digesting all of the, all sports. Cause that's all I wanted to do was talk about sports, watch sports, play sports. Um, and so it was just another outlet for that.
2: I think, uh, it's nostalgia of course, but, uh, I think sports illustrated, you know, I think we'll tell our children about it and they'll look at us funny one day and say, hey, you know, we don't really get it. Um, we have our big splash coming up but first. I want to take a couple of calls. Don's in Beaverton. Don, what's up, man?
5: Yeah, I got, I like Dale Murphy. He was on there. Bill Murphy, the baseball player, and also oh, yeah. uh, I got uh, Green Bay blowing out your 49ers this weekend by uh, no, no, 17 no. points, maybe no
2: 21. Don't bet, don't bet what you can't afford to lose on that, Donnie. Dave's in Sherwood. Dave, welcome.
0: Hi, John. Uh, my best memory of a SI cover issue is bittersweet as we approach its 50th anniversary and that would be the lost weekend. Yeah. You recall that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh we 50 years ago and Bill Walton and and uh UCLA and 88 game what? win streak comes to an end.
0: No, actually the Notre Dame snapped the streak two or three weeks prior to the trip to Eugene and Corvallis. Mm. And the Bruins lost both games on the road, close games. Ralph Miller, Dick Carter, and I—I uh, <laughs> I was a kid in SoCal and grew up playing basketball. Played college and high school, and doted on everything John Wooden and UCLA ever did. And I had uh, matriculated up to Willamette University in '74. Had my subscription transferred to school, and I was crestfallen at the <laughs> at the result of those two games. And that was seventy four was not a good year for the Bruins. It ended up, but that's the memory I have. And thanks for bringing the topic up. That's very cool. Touched me.
2: Yeah, it's it is fifty years ago today, though that the streak was broken by Notre Dame. He's talking about the weekend. Uh, but 50 years ago today, Notre Dame snapped UCLA's 88-game win streak. Charlie's in Vancouver. Charlie, go ahead.
7: Wow, John, before I go to the SI stuff, you really snapped a memory there. John Schumate, I believe, was one of the big guys that day because I had a little cassette recorder that I recorded the game from my TV while I'm watching it. That's the kind of loser I was. I can still remember Dick McGuire calling the game. Or uh, Dick Emberg. sorry. And <laughs> it was great stuff. Anyway. Back to Sports Illustrated. I loved it because it, it was such a story magazine. You know, it wasn't two, two paragraphs about the game and that kind of thing. They had four or five articles that were always just, you know, five, ten-page stories, which were just phenomenal, which I hadn't seen in any other news source at that time. Love the fact that their NCAA playoff pictures were better than anything I could ever get in a newspaper or anything like that, you know, because it was glossy. But the cover... And I don't know if it made the cover, but I think it did. I know it was a great story. Do you remember the big lie that S.I. told? I think his name was Sid Finch.
2: We told the story of a big. No, I missed it. I got it. it. I'm sorry. It's okay. George Plimpton. I'm sure other listeners are just tuning in as well. April Fool's Day, George Plimpton, Sid Finch. And uh, he fooled some people, but it was terrific writing by Plimpton.
7: Dude, it fooled me. I thought it was awesome. I tell in all my buddies about it. No, man, I'm a loser. Anyway, thanks, John, for bringing it up. You really brought back some memories. I appreciate it.
2: Appreciate you, Charlie in Vancouver. I like nostalgia. I guess there's a reason it exists. Um, let's get to our big splash. DeAndre Ayton, it's been a rough week for you.
4: The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big
5: Splash!
4: Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about.
2: Well, it wasn't a good look for DeAndre Ayton that he missed the Blazers game the other night, unable to... To get down his icy driveway. Well, the excuse didn't hold up for long either. It was outdone when the team's courtside reporter, Brooke Olsendam, went on air during the game. She's got a broken foot. Her foot's in a boot. And she told the Blazers broadcast team she had to scoot down her driveway. She lives very close to DeAndre Ayton. She had to find her way down her driveway, get there for the game. Courtside reporter with a broken foot made it. DeAndre Ayton did not. Home because of the icy conditions. It's blowing up. Awful announcing had uh, a little fun uh, with it as well. But, uh, you know, Brooke, she's tough. She's got the boot on. Broke her foot before Sunday's game, but no power at her house. Got her car out of her garage. Found an Uber to the game. Made it to work. DeAndre Ayton did not. It's gonna get worse and worse for him. And Stephen, I think you made the point yesterday. Like if he if he didn't have all the questions about his motor and the fact that you know did he not play hard, all that stuff, if that wasn't part of the story. This wouldn't be a story.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just his reputation. I mean, Phoenix didn't want him because of the effort thing. You know, Monty Williams is tired of him. They they basically got rid of him. Just wanted him out. And Portland grabbed him because Chauncey's always loved him. And Chauncey, I think, thought he could uh, kind of change his motor. And then you saw this year with Portland, like, the motor hasn't always been there. And, and the desire hasn't always been there. He's has quotes that have said, basically, you know, I want to play so I can get a second contract, and that's about it. Like, it, that's why it's questioned on his his, effortabil- his effort. And does he actually care about basketball? Does he care about the team? Does he want to play? And then when this happens, yeah, I mean, it's easy to just say, you know what? This is a very easy situation that you could have uh, probably figured out a way to get out of there, out of your house and get to the arena. Everybody else on the team did. Everyone else undid did it, but not DeAndre Ayton. So it's just, I think it's a bad look. I know a lot of Blazers fans on Twitter are supporting DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton and saying, you know, it, it should have been canceled. The game should have been canceled, all that kind of stuff. But man, it, you know it, I make a hundred times less than DeAndre Ayton. I found myself, found a way to get to work on those days. Like, I don't know. I just feel like when you're making $35.5 million, got to find a way to get to the arena to play basketball, if that's your job.
2: There's Steven, uh, I think well put, and I think relatable as well. But I'm dividing $35 million by hundred. million. Uh, I think I did my right? There you go. Steven, well done. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, Meg, uh, I just think when you have that knock on yourself, like, that has to, if you care, that has to resonate when you're staring at the icy driveway. And Dale Davis, you know, D- uh, David Stoudemire tweeted it, but I remember the story. I was around when Dale Davis had to go down that driveway. He, I, I spoke to him after the incident about it. His eyes were wide. He was scared. He said he got down on his hands and knees and he crawled from his house all the way down this long driveway on the ice just so he didn't fall, and then he caught a taxi or something and made it to the, to the game. Um, if you're DeAndre Ayton and the knock on you is that you don't love the game, you don't care, you're not going to play hard, you got no motor. If you have that knock on you, and you have any kind of any semblance of personal pride, you're not missing that game. You're just not. Punch it Audio is coming up. We've got great sound. We'll also get a visit from John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. We'll talk about the Pac-12 teams. We're going to talk about the NFL playoff games. Huge games tomorrow and Sunday. Niners Packers tomorrow. Also, uh, obviously, the Texans and Raisin, Ray, Raisins, Ravens tomorrow. And then the Sunday games, including the Bills and the Chiefs. We'll break them all down next. I'm excited about the weekend. NFL games uh, coming up, obviously. Uh, it'll start the NFL action well tomorrow with the Texans at the Ravens, 1-30. And then the Packers at the Niners at 5-15. I know if somebody said to me, you can only watch one of those games, I'm watching the Niners-Packers game. But I actually think the Texans-Ravens game might be a closer game. And then on Sunday, it'll be the Buccaneers and the Lions at noon, and then the Kansas City Chiefs at Buffalo, 3.30. I can only watch one game, Kansas City-Buffalo. Steven, you can only watch one game each day, which game you watching.
1: That's a good one. Um, It's definitely the chiefs Buffalo on Sunday. I'm going to go with the Texans and the Ravens. I'm really excited to see uh, CJ Stroud and see what he can do um, against that Baltimore Ravens team. I I the more I think about it, the more I like the the, uh, the Texans to cover this game. They can keep it close. So I think it could actually be a sneaky, high-scoring game. Texans' defense isn't great. Baltimore's defense has been solid this season, but CJ Stroud is really good. I think he can score against anybody. So I think it could be a sneaky, high-scoring,
2: close game. Sneaky, high-scoring, and close. That's what we want. Best quarterback left. It's quarterback-centric game. Who's the best quarterback left in the playoffs? Let's rank the quarterbacks before we get into Punch It Audio. Let's go through, you know, the quarterbacks on Saturday, the quarterbacks on Sunday. Give me the top three quarterbacks left playing in the playoffs, and who's the weakest link? Remember that game? You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Who's the weakest link among the quarterbacks today? Right now, these we- this weekend's games.
1: Uh, top three for me would be Patrick Mahomes. Uh, easy number one for me. Um, I think number two would probably be Josh Allen, three Lamar Jackson. Hmm. I think that's my order, but I might be- You don't put-, put
2: Brock Purdy in front of Lamar Jackson?
1: No. I'd put CJ Stroud over Brock Purdy.
2: Ooh.
1: Brock Purdy may not be top five here, John. Uh, yeah, he'd huh. be fifth.
2: Is is Brock Purdy a system guy, or is that what you're trying to say? Is that he benefits from having Kittle and Samuels and McCaffrey and, and Kyle you, Shanahan
1: and all the? Yes, I do. I, I think that is true. I know. I think Brock is a good quarterback. You know, we've had this debate before of like I thought Brock Purdy should have you know been in the MVP conversation because you can't deny the stats. Like his stats, he was at the top of basically every passing stat this season. Uh, but I do think he does benefit a lot from. The system around him and the players around him. Where I think if you put a guy even like Jordan Love in that offense, the offense may even be more dynamic. Or CJ Stroud in that offense, that's mm. even more dynamic. So yeah, I, I probably would put Purdy six and then Goff Mayfield seven eight.
2: Lamar Jackson, you know I think Lamar Jackson is super talented, but I think you can make a case obviously that he's had a better year than anybody. Josh Allen, here is your chance, man. Get get yourself put and rated in front of. Those other guys. Um, who's the weakest link in your mind?
1: I would have to go with um, it's either Baker. God. I'm going to go Baker. I, I'm not a big Baker Mayfield guy. I never have been. I don't think he's really that good. And every time this season, the Bucks have played up in their competition. It's been really bad. Now, you could argue that last week against the Eagles, that's an upper competition game. He had a good game. But I would also say that the Eagles aren't very good right now. They're not a very good team. They're not very well coached. The season had fallen off the rails. So I don't really give him a lot of credit for that one. I think they could have beaten – you know, the Eagles would have lost to a lot of teams last week. So I think every time they've gone up in competition this season, they played an upper upper echelon team. Baker hasn't really performed. Um, I'd I, I put Baker at the bottom of the list for me.
2: I think it's, there are tears here, and it's Mahomes – Jackson Allen and then I think there's a tear. There's a break there. Okay. And then I I'm going to say Purdy, CJ Stroud, Jordan Love in the middle and Goff and Mayfield in the bottom. And but I love good stories and there's a renaissance thing going on with Baker Mayfield. Like, you know, we love the we love the rise and the fall, right? And here's a guy who had a fall. And then now has sort of resurrected his career in this one year deal with the Buccaneers, and it's a really good story.
1: Yeah, I mean, think about his his la- season last year. He started with the Panthers, got cut, went to the Rams, and then you know kind of figured it out with Sean McVay a little bit, and then gets the one year deal with the Bucks. Like you know, I totally forgot he was on the Rams last season, and it's like, yeah, now now he's in the playoffs in the second round of the playoffs. You got to give it up for him.
2: And and look, Goff had forty five hundred yards and thirty touchdowns, and he's been to a Super Bowl but there's still something about his game where i'm waiting for, you know, him to fumble the ball in a key situation or throw an interception and he ends up being, you know there's still something about him. And Jordan Love, Jordan Love's last 9 games, 21 touchdowns, one interception. Last 9 games. But he's going to play a really good defense this week. Let's see what he let's see what he's got. Let's play some punch it. <laughs>
3: We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Truth
8: Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
9: You're going to hear little
4: snippets
2: of sound.
4: Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling.
2: Well, a lot of Alabama fans struggling with the hire of Kalen DeBoer. The transfer portal is lighting up. Paul Feinbaum talking about the level of patience or maybe impatience that the tide will have with the new guy punch it. I spent
6: 30 years in Alabama. I covered the transition between
7: uh bear Bryant and, and Ray Perkins. And that was one of the most difficult things I've ever seen because, uh, everything, the guy, everything, the new guy did. And by the way, he came from the New York giants as a head coach. So right. he thought he knew everything. He didn't know anything, even though he played at Alabama.
6: Um, and the boar will will get a pass, but uh, this is not a world where anyone is patient anymore. Uh, and uh, there will be meltdowns by the hour. Uh, and, and
7: but he'll have to he'll have to endure that. And there's I, I have no earthly idea whether he will or won't. I mean, anybody who thinks they know is just making it up.
2: Yeah, I don't know though. I I just feel a little bit of wobbling in the uh, Alabama family right now. The transfer portal... Alabama's not used to this. And they're getting just trounced in the portal. And a big piece of it is... The players at Alabama were going to Alabama... to play at Alabama, but they were going to play for Nick Saban at Alabama. And I think Nick Saban saw the writing on the wall. I I read the Tuscaloosa News today... and a bunch of other reports. And... You know, it looks like Alabama football is putting its pants on one leg at a time these days, and the Tide aren't used to doing that. They're used to jumping in their pants two at a time. But isn't
1: this just the sign of the times? Like, Georgia has 18 players in the transfer portal, and it's not like they didn't change any coaches. I think this isn't this just what happens in college football now? Texas A&M, they had a coach who changed 26 in the portal. Like, I just think, you know, Bama's in the 20s, like the low 20s. Isn't this just kind of what college football is right now? Is it really that big of a difference between them and anybody else?
2: I think because of the coaching change, though, you, whenever you see a coaching change, you see extra defections. Like, Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma. 30 Sooners transferred, right? Like, and I kind of... Like, Kalen Abor will eventually restock with his own guys. And the silver lining is he will have the portal opening again in the spring to go grab guys and fill needs, but... People are descending upon Arizona, Washington, and Alabama right now and poaching what they want because the portal's back open and and those NIL collectives can now go, hey, we have a need for a pass rusher. We have a need for a defensive tackle. We have a need for an offensive lineman. And they're shopping right now. Tom Pelissaro talking about Bill Belichick. Belichick trying to keep... In the game, where is he headed? Pellissaro took a stab. Punch it.
4: A lot of the stuff from a macro perspective, they're on the same page. But you've still got a lot of other people in the building. You've still got a lot of other conversations that need to take place here. Uh, and they need to, to nail those things down. In addition to, obviously, there's various rules that you have to follow before making a head coaching hire. Right now, I'd say everything It's certainly trending in the right direction for Bill Belichick to be the Falcons' Mm -hmm. next head coach, but they're not there yet, and the meetings that are going on today are a big part of it.
2: Really interested to see where Belichick ends up. It's evident he's not done. Curious to see, though, too, you know, this Jim Harbaugh thing. It looks like Harbaugh's done with Michigan. I mean, they offered him $69 million. He has not accepted it. That kind of tells you, you know, he's on his way out staying in the nfl tom brady speaking about belichick's worth work ethic punch it
5: i
7: think when you grow up coaching a guy like lawrence taylor you know and we had lt on our program like you know you realize that as a as a coach man if you're going to get a, your, your point across
6: you better come across confident you better come across prepared and i think then you coach a randy moss first ballot hall of famer then you coach tom brady and you coach some incredible players that he did. I, he he had a way about him that he was there, and
7: and everyone saw his work ethic too. So we all knew that it came from a place, a very educated place too. Like I respected his work ethic so much because I knew he was combing through every single bit of film every single week to try to put us in a in a position to succeed. So when someone critiques you, okay, I'll, I'll embrace that.
2: Yeah, but the thing Belichick had is you know you talk about Lawrence Taylor. When he was a coordinator, you also talk about Tom Brady when he was a head coach. Huge advantage to have the Jimmys and the Joes, even if you are good at the other stuff, the X's and the O's. Pivoting to the games, Dan Campbell, Lions coach, says his team's focused. They're not thinking about the Super Bowl.
10: Punch it. So there's only three left here, but it all starts with one. And, and that's really the process all year. No matter where you're at, if you lost one, you won five in a row, now you're in the playoffs. Man, it's all about the one in front of you. You have to stay focused on that. So everything we've got, full focus on this game. Do your job one more time uh, for any of the butterflies, all of that of the first playoff game ever for a lot of guys and get the monkey off your back. Well, now now you're in a second playoff game. Now you've got experience in that. Uh, you understand the environment. You understand what our house is going to be like, uh, which is electric, which should give you a surge of energy. Um, and so I, I, I think... Uh, I think this is good, but it's all focused on one.
2: Lions are a six point favorite at home against the Buccaneers. That game on Sunday. Stephen A. Smith asking the question Can Baker Mayfield and the Bucks upset the Lions?
11: Punch it. Hell no. Can't see it. Mm-mm. Because I think that you're going to have to put up a significant chunk of points to beat this Detroit Lions team. They can run the football, they can throw the football. I'm in Ross St. Brown. I mean, we, we know that this brother can ball. We know that Jared Goff has guided the team to a Super Bowl, and he's looked even better now than he ever looked in the Los Angeles Rams uniform as far as I'm concerned. I'm looking at the, at the personnel that they have. I'm looking at them being a top-five team in the NFL in points per game, yards per game, and red zone efficiency. So let's not forget all of that.
2: There it is. Stephen A. Smith saying, hell no. Lions at home, a lot of emotion. Dan Campbell's got that team locked in. Meanwhile, on Saturday, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, they will be playing at home against the Texans. Is Lamar ready? It's very
5: loose out there. Is that kind
7: of
12: how you feel right now? Absolutely. Um, you
2: know, we had some time off to uh,
12: regroup, um, lock back in, hype, antsy.
2: Antsy, he's hyped, he's ready. Ravens at home. They have the best player. They have the home field. Will they be able to get it done? Meanwhile, Kyle Shanahan, he took on the question: rest versus rust. Did the Niners get it right with the time off, the rest, or will they be stale? Here's Kyle Shanahan punching. Um,
4: not much. I. I think we've had some dominant performances we've had when we've had none rests, and I think we played bad when
1: we've had none or no rest. Sorry, that was not educated. educated. Um, but it's, I mean, you try to go with how you feel your team is, and uh, our team's ready to go. So excited to see how we play.
2: Super Niners ready. Kyle Shanahan ready. Steve Young, former Niner quarterback, saying that the training wheels are off for Brock Purdy. What does he mean? Punch it. I don't have to give
13: Brock Purdy many tips. He's done a great job of knowing the play, knowing where to throw the football, and getting it out of his hands and put it in the hands of these superstar players around him. And uh, and he's been as efficient as anyone's ever been at giving the ball to these great players. So I am the last person that's going to try to tell him what to do. He's on his own now. He's, he's, the training wheels are off. He's doing fine.
2: <laughs> training wheels are off. Steve Young did it at a high level. Now let's see if Brock Purdy can get it done. The Niners playing with a lot of focus. But also, they haven't played in a while. Meanwhile, the Bills. The Bills Mafia. Will they be on point on Sunday? They're at home. Dion Dawkins. Bills lineman. Talked it. Punch it. I'm
12: very confident in the Mafia. You know? I feel like the Mafia is in great relation with myself, which is also like to the team. So, I know that they're going to bring it and. I'm hoping that they bring it to the highest that they've ever brought it, because I'm excited to see them, you know? Driving into the game is when I can always tell how they're going to to be, if they're like already drunk, then it's gonna be one one of those games. So I'm hoping around four o'clock, everybody is just about at their teeter when I'm driving in, or 3.35, and they're at their teeter, so I'm hoping the Mafia brings all of everything like it's all or nothing because I'm expecting it to be the loudest that I've ever heard and the swaggiest that I've ever seen and the snowiest that I've ever seen. So see you guys soon.
2: The snowiest that he's ever seen it. Bills at home. Big one for Josh Allen and the Bills. They have to win this game. They've not been successful in getting by Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs when it matters. It matters now. The Chiefs look vulnerable. This is Buffalo's now or never moment, and I uh, I could see that if this doesn't work out, then you you have a real problem in Buffalo, and you have to start thinking about blowing that team up.
1: Do the Bills have by far the most pressure out of any team this week? Yes, yes.
2: I think Bills Niners are the two teams that I think feel the most pressure. I, I kind of look at the Tampa Bay Detroit game, and I go, gosh, if you're Detroit, you're fill- you're you're playing with house money, taking a big step forward. You don't need to win the Super Bowl this year to have everybody go. What a great season by the Lions! Finally, um, you know Baker Mayfield's—it's a Renaissance story. C.J. Stroud, the Texans—they're—they're they're playing loose. Ravens have nothing to lose here. I mean, you know they're good, but nobody's—you know—head and shoulders picking the Ravens to win it all, despite the fact that they're really good. Uh, I think the—I think it's the pressure right now is on Buffalo one, San Francisco two. Those two organizations, just from the way that they played and the stakes, it's it's their moment. Where will Jim Harbaugh end up? Albert Breer on the Dan Patrick Show, he has an inkling. Says it's the Chargers. Bunch. Of- you think, think the will.
4: Chargers' job is his if he wants it, Albert? Yes. Okay. Yes,
7: and I think I think, but I think like the context of that's going to be important, right? Like, so I think a lot of it is going to come down to um, you know how how it looks and how, how things are set up. And, you know, I think that that's, that'd be the thing that Jim would be leery of, you know, I mean, look, like there's no secret, you know, he's clashed a little with his athletic director at Michigan and he had an issue with the owner and in in San Francisco and the chargers have not only the owner, but
4: like the, the,
7: the two sons, John and AG um, run the football side, and the business side. And so, you know, is John comfortable. Is Jim comfortable with that.
2: Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. Well, we didn't, we know he's not going to the Raiders. Raiders finalizing a deal to make Antonio Pierce their head coach. Multiple sources reporting that today. Interim coach did a great job. Apparently the players in Vegas have just campaigned for Pierce. He's won the job. It's a rare occur, occurrence that you see an interim coach come in and do that. But the Raiders probably also looking over and going, hey, we're not going to get Jim Harbaugh. If you're not going to get Harbaugh, bird in the hand. And Antonio Pierce did a nice job for the Raiders down the stretch. It gives the Raiders a chance to go, see, we weren't the problem. It wasn't us. Finally, Dan Lanning. He met Michael Jordan, Derek Jeter, Travis Scott, college football playoff game. We had this conversation on the show where he talked about those guys. Punch it. Who's was the greatest ever. MJ or or LeBron what's your what's your thought oh, here? Kobe, it's like? Jordan. No, no, it's Jordan. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's Jordan. He he would kill you in ping pong, checkers, whatever game. He's an Super assassin. Super competitor, got, huh? Yes. Yeah. He's got the yeah, I'm he's with got you, the man. X factor. He has the X factor. You know, George Plimpton wrote a book. You should read it sometime when you're on a plane. It's called The X Factor. That's Jordan. It's it's it, he's got it. And, you know, did you get a picture with those guys?
4: I got a picture with Jordan. I didn't, I, you know, Travis Scott's been up here before. Uh, you know, he came up, you know, he's with Nike, obviously, and he came up for the world and he came by the facility. So I have a picture in my office right now with me and Travis Scott. Um, I, you know, I was the guy that wasn't very smart that day. Instead of wearing Travis Scott's, I was wearing Jordan's. And I was like, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't bright. I should have done.
2: There's Dan Lanning talking about rubbing shoulders with greats. I wrote about it today at com. You've got Michael Jordan, you've got Derek Jeter, you're at the college football playoff in the Nike suite. I just started thinking about kind of the the reason why winners win. And, and, and the theme of today, we've been talking a lot about Sports Illustrated, but George Plimpton, you know, he wrote this great book called The X Factor, and it really did focus on the reasons why business leaders and champions in sport like Bill Russell, who won every at every level, and Jordan, who... You know, after five really tough seasons, I think to start his NBA career, just broke through in one and one and one and one. And, won. and Derek Jeter, who you know, five-time World Series champion, fourteen-time All-Star. You know, why is it that those guys win? Well, some of it obviously is natural athletic ability, but there is there's an X-factor about those guys. And I kind of wonder with the Nike influence and Dan Lanning spending time with those guys in the. In the suite, the Nike suite during the playoff game, and Landing saying, "You know, he's Facetime with Jordan a couple of times." You know, there's a uh, there's a um, ability there for some osmosis to happen, and if you're Dan Landing, you pay attention to that. Like you'd be fool not to. John Wilner's coming up. Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News. We'll talk some NFL, Pac-12 football, basketball. What else? Leave it here. Had a lot of fun off the top of the show today talking about Sports Illustrated covers, your favorite cover. I'm going to ask John Wilner, our next guest, what his favorite Sports Illustrated cover was or what memories he has of that magazine. He's joining us now. You can read him at Pac12Hotline.com. Wilner, Sports Illustrated, uh, what comes to mind cover-wise?
14: I'm dating myself but I would say Rolando Blackman shoots down somebody. He was playing for Kansas State. They had a big upset in the NCAA tournament. I think it must have been in the 80s. And I can't remember who was, but I remember him on the cover. That, plus there's a great Sidney Moncrief cover of him going in for a dunk. Those would be two that stand out to me.
2: I think it was uh, Rolando Blackman shooting over Oregon State. In that cover It might shot. be. Actually, I think it
14: was. You might be right. That might the have been mi- like eighty two? Eighty yeah. four?
2: The no, the mighty have fallen. I'm looking at it now. It was March twenty third, nineteen eighty one. He shoots okay. down he shoots down Oregon State.
14: <laughs> there it is.
2: Look at that.
14: No, I did not mean to offend your beaver listener. Ah. I had no idea who the opponent was.
2: They're, the listeners of this show cannot be offended. They, they're they not easily offended, I should just say. Uh, Wilner, help me out with this because I'm wrestling with it. So, you know, we watched Sports Illustrated take a hit. L.A. Times today, you know, staff went on strike. They're facing layoffs. And, you know, it, it's just sad to me that something like Sports Illustrated, the institution of it, it, is really gone. It may have died a few years ago, but it's really gone now. And, and I'm— you know, I don't know if it ever comes back. Like, is there any part of you that kind of laments, you know, you're in the business. I'm in the business. It's take a look around.
14: It's tough, whether it's sports or news, newspapers, magazines and stuff, because, you know, it, it closes the circle of how people can get their information and be informed and make good decisions about life and politics and everything else and Journalism is a vital, vital piece of a thriving community, and uh, whether it's local newspapers or national magazines, it's really uh, a, sh- a shame this is happening. We'll see. You know, it's going to take a few years, I think, for the whole thing to play out. The New York Times has filed a lawsuit against uh, with the AI business. That could be. You know, that'll be something for people to watch. If New York Times wins that lawsuit, that would be very good for journalism.
2: Yeah, very good indeed. And uh, my hope is that somebody's going to pick up Sports Illustrated and and turn it back into something palatable, but who knows. I want to pivot into uh, into college basketball for a minute, then we'll get into some college football. But what do you see happening in the Pac-12? And, and uh, you know, what, the landscape of the health of the conference as is it, is it pertains to men's basketball.
14: I don't think it's very healthy. I think it's fun on a game-to-game basis because you can get it. I mean, there's almost anybody can beat anybody, right, because Cal's better, and I think Oregon State's probably a little bit better. So there's more parity, but I don't know that that's good, right? I mean, if you're using the football analogy, the Pac-12 went for several years where there was lots of parity. It wasn't putting anybody in the playoff, uh, but there was lots of parity. That's not really good. It's better when you have good teams. Especially if your big brands are good, when UCLA is struggling and losing by forty-six points at Utah, that is not good for Pac-12 basketball at a you know on the collective level. But the Pac-12 has not been very good for a long time, and that's crazy to coaching. There's there's a lot of mediocre or bad coaches in the conference, and none of the schools are firing them. So that's why we're in this position, and. I would imagine the conference is going to get three or four NCAA tournament bids, four if it's lucky. And that's not very good either. But it's been a very poorly run basketball operation, not at the conference level, but at the school level, a lot of, a lot of bad coaching.
2: Yeah, and I think streaky, too. Like Colorado's streaky. Arizona, really good players. But that but happens look, when you don't yeah. have
14: really good teams. Yeah. Right, that's what I mean. The Pac-12 football is a great example. What five five teams were consistently ranked during the season, and there was not much parity. There was a lot of blowouts, not many upsets, but it was compelling. And Pac-12 basketball, to me, is is not very compelling when you don't have real elite teams.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, I think that uh, you've got the ability. To look at this conference and say, Okay, this Oregon team, much different team a couple of weeks ago, perimeter shooting team, Dana Albin kind of got them together, and then uh and then you know here they are now trying to learn how to play with Infali dante, why he gets in while he gets in shape, and it 's a different team what 's going on with Arizona because you know here well, they, the other they, thing though yeah
14: the other thing with Oregon is they because of their early season losses they 're not in real great position for the NCAA tournament if they if they take on more losses while they're trying to get Dante back in and adjust to him, they could be in a position where if they don't win the Pac-12 tournament, they don't make the NCAA's.
2: And I think they got to win their home games, including the 27th. They're hosting Arizona at Matthew Knight Arena. That is yep. that is a, that's a you know a few chances for those huge quad one wins, great wins. Yep, there's one at home for Oregon. John Wilner with us, Bay Area News Group. Uh, how many how many bids? from the Pac-12. how many, And Oregon State and Washington State want to know because they're going to get the money.
14: Uh, yeah, they are. Uh, I would go for – I would probably set the over-under at three-and-a-half. I mean, Arizona is in – I think Utah's got a real good chance uh, unless they take some bad losses. And then I think Colorado probably, and then maybe you get one more. Some either – Oregon – or maybe Washington gets hot. It also depends on who wins the conference, the, the tournament, and gets the automatic bid, right? the PAC, This is a year where the Pac-12 wants there to be a big upset, right, whether it's Washington or Stanford or USC, UCLA. If one of those teams gets uh, wins the conference championship, gets the automatic bid, then maybe instead of getting three or four, you get four or five total bids.
2: I think that this season – it, I'm, I'm just eager to see, does the conference have a team that can play into the Elite Eight, right? Or does Arizona do what they sometimes do when they get to the tournament? We will find out. Um, yeah, coach, I
14: think Colorado, yeah. if, you're, if you're looking for a team that could do better in the tournament than people expect, Colorado's got a really good starting lineup, a great mix of, of size and experience and skill, and I, I would, if I were picking right now a team to win the Pac-12 tournament, I would pick Colorado. And a team to make the Sweet 16, probably Colorado.
2: John Wilner, Jed Fish to Washington, Brent Brennan to Arizona, Kalen DeBoer to Alabama. Let's at first take a look at the uh, picture from 20,000 feet. Nine of the 12 conference coaches from just three seasons ago are now no longer with their original schools. Is this an unusual cycle? Sign of the times. What's going on with all of this?
14: I think it's a, a little bit unusual in the uh, the amount of turnover. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. Nine new coach, nine coaching changes, and ten conference changes. Right? You got ten schools leaving. Uh, it's it's you know partly a sign of the times, and and partly I think some some circumstances. Uh, unique to the pac 12 but the bottom line is there they were some really smart coaching hires made. Kalen DeBoer, Dan Lanning, obviously Lincoln Riley, I think Deion was a smart hire, uh, you can name a hook, Jed Fish in Arizona was a smart hire, and uh, so that helped turn the conference around, and that's the opposite of what we've seen in basketball. The head coach is so important And I just, you know, you look and you can see clear evidence when a school is willing to shell out the money and make a smart decision with its head coach, the impact it can have. And so many times out here over the years, we have seen schools go on the cheap, schools take the easy route with the hire, and they end up with somebody bad, and it sets the program back.
2: Should DeBoer... In Alabama, be worried about what's going on in the portal, or was that to be expected after Nick Saban?
14: I think it was to be expected, but the thing is, Alabama's never experienced it before. So for these fans, they're they're like, you know, uh, what's going on here? Meanwhile, everybody else has kind of undergone the same issue that Alabama players never entered the portal because the good ones because they wanted to play for Nick Saban. So now Alabama is experiencing life with the masses, right? They're they're in coach or economy with all the masses. And uh, I think DeBoer will end up adding some players in the spring when the portal opens again, uh, April 15th or 16th. But, look, he's got an immense challenge and expectations that are unrealistic. I mean, impossible. He's going to have to make – in order to make Alabama fans happy, He's going to have to play for the national championship basically every other year or every third year. That's going to be awfully difficult. But he, that's what you get when you're following the greatest coach of all time.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, we go to Jed Fish down the, you know, as the dominoes fall to Washington and Brent Brennan to Arizona. It, as you evaluate what happened at those two schools, it happened rapidly. Did Washington get it right with Jed Fish?
14: Uh, I think that's to be determined. I'm more confident that Arizona got it right with Brennan than Washington got it right with Fish, given where the programs are, what the expectations are, what, what conferences they're going to be in. So relative to circumstance at the two campuses, I think Arizona might have made a better hire. We'll see. I think Fish will win, but what is winning going to mean at Washington in the Big Ten with the expanded playoff? Every other year in the playoff, two out of every three years in the playoff. You know, I think if the expectation is one out of every three in the playoff, you know, Fish Fish should be able to do that. Uh, But he's a risk, right? He's a Florida grad. Florida uh, has got a coach on the hot seat going into next season, Billy Napier. And if if Napier gets fired, I would think Fish, uh, as long as Washington's pretty good, Fish is going to be on their short list. So Washington could be back in this position again next year.
2: Yeah, I think I kind of look at Brent Brennan and and I I see, you know, a substance guy. And I think he could be at Arizona for a long time. And I kind of look at what Fish is doing. He's transient. You look at his resume. It's a little bit Dennis Erickson-like. And, you know, he's just jumped around quite a bit. uh, But will the money and the platform be able to, you know, will it keep him happy? I just don't know. And there's always Florida looming. And Oregon fans know better than most. Willie Taggart and Mario Cristobal leave for – Florida State and Miami and Jed Fish if he hears the the call from Gainesville um, you know he may pay attention to that is there anything Washington can do to keep him happy is is this an NIL equation is it job security is buyout i mean i don't even know if the buyouts matter anymore
14: well i don't i don't either and and the buyout's not very much it's 12 billion and i was surprised i thought it would be at least 15 the fact that his first year buyout so if he leaves in the next 52 weeks, 50 weeks, I think it is, if he leaves, uh, it's it's $12 million bucks. That's not very much. Dan, what's Dan Lanning's buyout, $20, 20, million?
2: 20, 20 mil, $20 yeah.
14: Something like that? Yeah. So the fact that Fish doesn't have a bigger buyout, to me, says that Washington didn't have a whole lot of leverage in the negotiations, that Washington was desperate. I don't think Fish was their first choice. I don't know. I think they tried to get Lance Leopold from Kansas, but— the 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 relatively modest buyout for what it is tells me that that Washington didn't have a ton of leverage with him.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of if Washington fans are nervous right now, but they're also riding a little high, feeling good about where they've been in the playoff, and and now you got Brent Brennan at Arizona. Unpack him a little bit. I think you and I were both really um, supportive of that hire, Dave Hakey, I think he got it right at Arizona.
14: I do, too. I think Brennan – because here's the thing about Brennan, which it makes him different, completely different from Fish. Brennan has blood ties to Arizona, right? He was a graduate assistant there under Arizona's greatest coach, Dick Tomey. His brother played for Arizona. His wife graduated from Arizona, right? That is like his dream job. Now, that doesn't mean that Brent Brennan is never going to leave Arizona. Obviously, Jonathan Smith left, left Oregon State. But it means that there's a really good chance that he's going to be there for a while, for five years, seven years, and that Arizona can get some continuity after changing coaches every three seasons, right? If you hire somebody that's got personal ties to your school, you're much less likely to lose them, especially lose them soon, right? So I think in that way, uh, Arizona did very well. And, and he, you know, Brennan knows what it's like to, to – coach at a school that doesn't have the same resources and tradition as its peers, right? San Jose State is not Boise State or Fresno State, but he was able to beat those teams. Arizona is not well, in the going to the big club, Arizona is not Utah. It's not Oklahoma State, right? And I think that Brennan will be able to, to work well in Tucson and win.
2: John Wilner, I appreciate you. Appreciate all you do, your expertise. You have a great weekend, my friend.
14: Thank you. Stay warm and dry up there.
2: Yeah, no kidding. we got a lot of people now thawing out, and we'll continue to thaw out over the weekend. Um, really good stuff from Wilner. I, I keep thinking about who's going to win the Big 12. Utah would be my pick next season in football. Who's going to win the Big 10? think things are lining up nicely for Oregon all of a sudden. If Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan and Kalen DeBoer out at Washington, Um, Lincoln Riley at at USC and Dan Lanning at Oregon have to be feeling a lot better about coming into a conference that has got some instability at the top. Is it possible the playing field in the Big Ten is a little soft all of a sudden? And Oregon's coming in with great recruiting class, some momentum. Look out. Next season's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, We'll talk NFL next right here on the BFT. All right, we've talked about the quarterbacks. We've talked about the matchups for the uh, NFL weekend. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the wagering odds that are on the board right now. Houston Texans at the Ravens on Saturday, 135 is your kickoff. Houston is uh, plus nine and a half points over under 43 and a half. Uh, Steven, uh, you have to bet that game. How are you betting it? You
1: know, I've been on Houston all week. I would go Houston. I actually feel like the over in Houston, like a parlay, it correlates really well together, John. Like, I don't see the Texans losing, like, 23-14. to 14. Like, I just don't see it because the Texans' defense isn't great. So I feel like if the Texans are to cover, it's because they score 20-plus points. And then Baltimore would have to score, you know, that many. It would go over the total, which is 43-and-a-half. So I actually think it's a really good correlation here, and I think uh, I would take Texans – well, I will be taking the Texans, and I'll take the
2: over as well. So you like the Texans plus 9.5. Yeah. And over 43.5. Yeah. Packers-Niners, 520 Saturday. Packers, 9.5 point underdog. Over under 50.5. Um, Packers on the money line, plus 350. How do you bet that one?
1: I actually think this one's very correlated, too. If you like the Packers, it has got to be the over as well. I, I'm going back and forth, John. I think... Yesterday I was on the Packers. I think I'm back on the Niners today. I I have no good feel for this one. Jordan Love, like you said, you you brought up the stats. You talked about the stats earlier t- in the show. You know he's been a top really five good, been like a top five quarterback the last half of the season. I mean that's not really debatable. And maybe that's real, maybe it's not. I just feel like the Packers, the youngest team in the playoffs, they got their big win in Dallas. Forty 49 are on a mission, man. I, I I believe in Brock Purdy. I don't think he's the most talented quarterback, but Shanahan knows how to get him in the right spots. He's got all the help around him that he needs. Hall of Famers everywhere. I think the 49ers get it done. Right now, I would lean 49ers. I'd lay the points. I wouldn't feel good about it. I think there's a great backdoor opportunity for the Packers, the way that they can score mm-hmm. the football. But uh, i take the Niners minus 9.5.
2: I, I'm a little worried about the Niners being rusty, but I also think there's a the potential there that the Niners come out and they're just on like they have at different points of the season. I have a hard time seeing Green Bay win that game. I just think there's a big gap between San Francisco and everybody else. But it's tough for me to say 9.5. It's a lot of points for a team that hasn't played in a few weeks. What uh, what one seed do you think is more vulnerable to an upset, the Ravens or the 49ers? Ravens. I think the Texans could get them, but they're both 9.5 point. Uh, I, I think all the home teams and all the favorites are going to win. I, did, I think it's going to be really different than some of the upsets that we saw in the, the wild card round. It does I seem just, very uh, chalky.
1: Yeah. It seems very chalky this yeah. year in this round, especially
2: this round. I, and beyond that, we can have another conversation. It's all—it's always matchups. But I just keep looking at it and I keep thinking, "Gosh, like, isn't the right play to just take all of the favorites on the money line all the way down the line and and feel feel pretty good about it?" But let's talk Tampa and Detroit. Yeah. Sunday at noon, six-point Detroit favorite. They're favored by six at home. Over under 49 and a half. What are you doing there?
1: Now, this is uh, very, very gambly information that I know about. Dan Gamble is a really good against-the-spread coach um, in his career as a Detroit Lions coach, but a lot of it is when he was an underdog, right? Like, the Lions this year were really good. And they were expected a lot out of him, but it was when they were bad. He would cover a lot of games. This season there was numerous games where he, you know, the Lions were big-time favorites and they didn't cover um, You know, six points, it's a lot, I think, right now in the second round. But I do think that I would still lean the Lions in this game over the Buccaneers. I think Tampa Bay is getting vaulted a little bit because of the win over Philadelphia, where I think Philadelphia just, they're a shell of themselves. They they had given in. It was the 1-2-3 Cancun. They were out of it. I don't think they're a very good team at the end of the year, and Tampa Bay just put it on them uh, in the second half. I, I think I would lean Lions minus six. Again, That's this is one I don't feel good about either. Uh, compared to the Houston-Baltimore game, which I feel pretty solid about. But I would lean Lions, and I would lay the points.
2: Yeah, I, th- I like the Lions, and I like the Lions to cover that. I think they can win by a touchdown. And Kansas City at Buffalo, finally, on Sunday, 3.30 is the kickoff time. Uh, Buffalo at home, two-and-a-half point favorite. Total, 45 and a half. Uh, Really interesting on the money line. I mean, if you like the Chiefs, they're plus 120. If you like the Bills, they're minus 150-ish. Um, what are you doing there?
1: Every time I do this, I feel like an idiot. I I bet against the best quarterback in the league and maybe the best head coach in the league, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. And it's like, what am I doing? Like, Why don't I just be smarter? But I like the Bills. I like the Bills in this one, John. I know, too. And it's all about the supporting cast. I think Patrick Mahomes, for how good he is, his receivers, his tight end and Travis Kelsey, they are not what they once were. And Travis Kelsey could have maybe a vintage Travis Kelsey game and have two or three touchdowns, and I could look like an idiot. But I don't think he has it anymore. I don't know that he's washed, but he doesn't have what he had you know, in the past. And the receivers, besides Rasheed Rice, they're nothing. They're nothing special. So I think Buffalo's the better team. I think it being in Buffalo is a big difference. Patrick Mahomes having to go on the road in this environment. He hasn't had to do that in his career. I think that's something we forget. He's always had home playoff games, never these road ones. I like Buffalo. I like Buffalo to win and cover.
2: Yeah, and I keep looking at Kansas City's season. Okay. So they I mean, obviously they've been on an incredible run and you've watched them all year, but this is not a team that dominated this season. And you know, you you look up and you go, gosh, you know, eleven and six, that's not you know, that's not a team that was a typical Patrick Mahomes and and the images I have in my head of the Chiefs this season uh fair or not they're of Taylor Swift in the box it's not like four seasons ago and Tyreek Hill down the field and Travis Kelsey and man that offense and they're just not the same I you know they're Kelsey's dropping passes Mahomes has fewer places to go with the ball the shine is off they're you know They had six losses in the regular season. Um, You know, they looked way better than the Dolphins in the wild card round. But I just think Buffalo's sitting, waiting, at home. This is the game that Buffalo's been waiting for. And I'm like you. I don't like betting against best player, best coach. You know, and it's why, um, you know, you probably, I wouldn't probably pick Houston to win that game outright against the Ravens. I think uh, Jim Harbaugh, or excuse me, John Harbaugh is a really good coach, and I think Lamar Jackson's a really good player. I, you know, I just i i can't see that happening. But um, I like Buffalo as well, and I think the pick there is Buffalo. And I, you might as well lay the two and a half because I think they win by a field goal or more. and, 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 a, and a Changing it, of the guard.
1: And yeah, it's like we've talked about a lot of pressures on Buffalo. I think they know if if they don't get it now, they're never going to get it. So it's going to be a lot of inspiration to play in this one.
2: All right. Which is your best bet, best bet that you felt of all the games we talked about?
1: Uh, I I actually think it's Buffalo minus two and a half. I think that's my favorite bet of the weekend. I think they're going to get this job done.
2: Buffalo minus two and a half. All right. That's your five-star pick. All right. The five at five is coming up. Anna's going to pop in the studio. She'll do the five at five. Uh, We'll talk more in the five o'clock hour about the NFL weekend. NFL playoffs on this weekend. We've been talking about it all week. You know, I, I hear people saying they're a little sad. Steven, are you at all sad? Meaning that college football is over. The NFL is winding down. You've got this round, you got the championship games, then a Super Bowl. Are you sad that football is winding down, or are you relishing and really just immersing yourself in it?
1: Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm sad. Um, sad is not the right word for me. It is. Um, it's a little disappointing, just because it always comes to the end. But no, I am. I'm, I'm relishing in the moment. I, I love these games. This, you know, these type of weeks are exciting. You know, college football playoff games were exciting. I can't wait for the conference championship games, So no, I'm not. I'm not sad about it, John. And especially you know, for me, I'm a big college basketball guy. So NCAA tournament right around the corner. I'm getting more psyched for that.
2: Well, I, I got a couple friends who are like, I'm sad that the playoff games are here, and I'm like, we'll enjoy them. You know, it's like, you know, we are all watching these TikTok videos and it's popped into the studio as well. And I saw a video the other day. They said, you know, you only have 10 years with your kids. So soak it up. And after 10 years, once they're about 10 years old, they kind of find their friends mm-hmm. and then they go off to high school and then college and, you know, they're kind of gone. So you have 10 years to really bond with them. We have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, the two little ones. Oh. Does that make you sad or are you just like enjoying immersing yourself in that experience? Uh,
15: yeah, I'm immersing myself. Um, really, we'll try to think of how precious that is when they're fighting and um, complaining about whatever <laughs> we're serving them for dinner. That's when I will remind myself just 10 precious years.
2: And they're in their home all week long. <laughs> and they're not. They're out of school. Yeah, all yeah week. It was real charming. Long. Like
15: day one, day two. Oh, we can go sledding. Oh, we can do this. And it's just not as charming by day no. five. But you know what? We've got power, so I'm not really first
2: concerned. world problem, Anna. <laughs> first world problem. I know. <laughs> um, all right, we are ready. We're gonna do the. Uh, we're gonna do the five at five. Anna's locked in. We've got power. By the way, the power flickered earlier in the show. I didn't bring it up, Steven. But, you know, if the power goes out, I'm going into Jericho mode over here. We've covered this. You have to wing it for about five minutes while I fire up the generator.
1: Yeah, I can stall. I can do that. Okay. I assume you have the generator, like, right next. Like, you've just been hauling it around with you these last,
15: like, he two weeks. He carries it on his back.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like,
2: you know, it's like a backpack. It's like a backpack. I may or may not have put the generator in the driveway and fired it up twice this week. I may or may not have done that.
1: Just a guy doing dude things.
15: <laughs> Gives him great joy.
2: Uh, it, you know what's funny? There's a car in the neighborhood that was idling the other night, and I was like, somebody's got a generator on. <laughs> like, I was going to go get mine out, <laughs> and, and let's do it. Um, There's I got a lot. still a
15: lot of people without power right now. There's a whole new batch. Is a transformer blue on the east side.
2: I was, you see, all the lights and all of the electrical equipment in this studio. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, there are no fewer than three, four computers, <laughs> keyboards, a, a board, um, you know, professional lighting, yeah. two cameras, a <laughs> bunch of overhead lights, yeah. a television on the wall. There's okay, a lot. there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. in this studio. Yeah, it all flickered earlier in hour one. Oh, how exciting. Midway through hour one, it flickered. Yeah. And I just kind of, my little heart leapt.
15: (laughs) It's okay. It's good for you. Keeps you on your toes. Yeah.
2: I was like, I got to go
15: Jericho,
2: you know? (laughs) And the funny thing is, your dad's 77. Okay, Uh we have a 77-year-old Taiwanese man living here, by the way. I don't know if I told anybody about this. (laughs) But, um, you know, Anna's dad's not used to the cold weather. So, he lives in a... Room in a space that is a little on the chilly side because he's in Taiwan. Where how how warm was it in Taiwan? Like you yeah, know? it's
15: like a constant eighty-five. You know. Okay, so and the, humid.
2: The temperatures when it got down to the teens. Yeah, your dad. I was your dad wasn't doing well with it. Nope. it's cold. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I went into his living space. I literally took an industrial strength staple gun and big <laughs> blankets, and I went over the windows. And every space that he didn't need to get to, and I just turned it into like an insulated cave, and I put a space heater in there, and I fired it up, and I put a temperature gauge in there. So one night, Stephen, I'm not kidding you, it was like low 20s, and his dad was in there it was 82 degrees. <laughs> he was in a sauna. <laughs> and he had an electric blanket pulled up to his neck. I went in, He's asleep. And I went in, and I was like, oh, this might not be healthy. Like, you know, this is too much. And so I turned him down. You know, I put the temperature down. I turned off the electric space heater. I opened his door. The next morning, he confessed that he saw me. He must sleep like a cat with his eyes open. He said, I saw you. And I said, okay. He said, yeah, yeah, I saw you in there. Thank you. He thanked me. But I was a little worried about it. But I kind of think, like, we don't think he pays attention to what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of think if the power goes out, he's going to be the one running around going, Jericho, Jericho.
15: Yeah, well, you have us all trained. We've run a few Does he Does he know sessions. his role, what
2: he's supposed to do? He's supposed to get assembled in the kitchen with a flashlight. That's That's pretty simple. If he can't do that, we're going to have to replace him <laughs> in the lineup. All right, here we go. The five at five.
4: The five at five.
2: Number one.
15: Well, this is interesting. Tickets to the 49ers-Packers playoff game cost half of what they did a month ago. So for anyone that wanted to uh, go to that game and procrastinated, you are in good luck. You can get seats in the upper decks for 190 You can wow. get lower levels for 400 And this is, in fact, a playoff game at Levi's Stadium.
2: This is a result of the Dallas Cowboys not being part of this game. Is that what it is? Yeah. It, people thought, it, when the Niners put these tickets on sale several weeks ago, they just, you know, it's a to-be-determined opponent, but people thought it was going to be the Cowboys. So the ticket price for lower level, 1600 is now down to 400 And the get-in price is 190 So, So um, really kind of interesting to see... Uh, to see this kind of unfold the way it has uh, for the Niners. But the Cowboys not being part of it definitely affects the fact that uh, the, the 49ers are not getting the prices that they that they thought they were going to get. I don't know. I don't know that I'm just not a let's pay 1600 to get into the game guy. You know, I don't know who was buying that ticket. Number
15: two. Anna. Uh, Bill Belichick doing a second interview with the Falcons. Uh, He first met with them back on January 15th. Uh, He met with owner Arthur Blank on his yacht near the U.S. Virgin Islands. Talk about a power play. Hey, come meet with me as I interview you to be my coach. You got to come out to my yacht at the Virgin Islands. That's what
2: Paul Allen used to do. You know, That's what he, he
15: did to Rich Cho. He right? brought
2: Rich Cho to Helsinki. <laughs> <And> <laughs> That's Paul, convenient. You no, know, I heard a lot about this interview. <laughs> Paul Allen is on his yacht and he's in Helsinki. Okay? Yeah. And he basically travels Rich Cho out to the yacht, probably flies him into Helsinki, then uses a chopper to bring him to the to the yacht. And this yacht is was one of the biggest in the world at the time, it had the had the submarine and everything. And I just kept saying, I had so many questions. I went to lunch with Rich Cho, the Blazers GM, once, and I said, Hey, man, I want to know everything about that job interview. <laughs> you know, where you, like in my mind, he's in a hot tub. Paul's sitting in the hot tub. Rich Cho's got, like, you know, snorkel gear on <laughs> in this giant hot tub. He's interviewing for the job. You know, rich people, man. This is what happens when you get so wealthy. That it's just beyond human comprehension. $20 billion of wealth. This is You do weird things. I come out to my yacht in Helsinki. I'll interview but, you for like, the job. Don't
15: you think it's weird that Bill Belichick has to fly out there and go to that yacht? Like, does he it, wants the job. Doesn't there some part of him that goes, I'm Bill mm, Belichick. You know? <laughs> like, why am I have to jump through these hoops?
2: But it tells me he's serious about the job. <sighs> Well, hey, find out if you're serious. They're
15: at the second interview now, which leads many people around the league to believe that he will, in fact, be crowned the newest head coach of Atlanta. Uh,
2: it's kind of ironic. Remember, it, the Falcons were ahead 28-3 to in that Super Bowl. Belichick beat him, mm-hmm. Or Brady did. We'll find out if Bill Belichick can do it.
5: Number
15: three. Um. All right, let's talk about uh, Kaelin DeBoer. At Alabama, he's uh, getting the team together there. Washington's uh, QB, Austin Mack, transfers to Alabama to Mm. reunite with Coach Kalen DeVore.
2: Interesting. Uh, Look, I think the transfer portal is a a funny animal. But meanwhile, you've got Alabama fans freaking out because they're not used to losing players in the portal like this. And you've got Mack, who's a really good player. But nobody's surprised by this. Coaches move, players move with them, right? Yeah. Isn't that kind of how it goes?
15: This this kid hasn't seen any collegiate football yet, so he redshirted under the Huskies, starter Michael Penix. Yeah,
2: he was supposed to be the next big thing.
15: Well, maybe he'll be the next big thing uh, in Alabama.
2: Well, he'll have to play Georgia instead of uh, some of those Pac-12 schools that... Uh, Michael Penix Jr. carved up. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm really curious to see how it goes in general for DeVore. But this isn't a surprise. And Washington fans, I think, have to have peace with it. It's it's the way the game's played. In the same way, I think you're going to see some Arizona players travel from Tucson to Seattle. It's just kind of what happens. And if you are a fan of Washington, if you're a fan of Arizona, if you're an Alabama fan, keep in mind it's about defense mostly right now and I'm not talking defensive players I'm talking about retention of your own roster right now 30 days of hang on to your guys then comes spring ball then you go on offense like everybody because the transfer portal opens again in spring ball for 30 more days Hmm. and then you have an opportunity to kind of fill some gaps fill in players we've seen it Dan Lanning had to do it when he got to Oregon Kaylen DeBoer is going to do it at Alabama now. So will Jed Fish at Washington. So will Brett Brandon at Arizona.
15: As of today, twenty-eight Alabama players have entered the portal.
2: That's new for the Bama fan. Twenty-eight. They're not used to that. That's
15: not a few.
2: That's Nick Saban. He's no. He's not here anymore. I'm out. Number four. All
15: right. I know you guys talked about this, but I think it's uh, big news and worth mentioning. Sports Illustrated about to undergo massive layoffs after their licensing agreement is revoked uh senior writer pat 40 is disputing earlier reports that the entire staff was laid off saying that there is still a website and a magazine that said ugly brutal day with many layoffs but this comes after a licensing deal fell through um just i mean gosh what a tremendous history In sports journalism, with Sports Illustrated, I can't imagine it not existing in some form.
2: Yeah, I think it died a couple years ago when you know it's been sold twice since the original owners, you know, and, and now you've got private equity firm basically squeezing all the life it can out of it, and it's unfortunate to see that you know the product has suffered. I have fond memories of Sports Illustrated as a magazine. I um. I just think it had the best writing. It had tremendous photography. The covers were always exciting to see what was going to be on the cover. I always loved Rick Riley, extra points at the end, even Steve Russian. Really good writing, really rich stuff. But it re- it really has lost so much talent, and I don't think that there's a generation coming behind us that would support it. And I just don't think they're into... Let's read what's going on this week on a weekly basis. You almost have to have like, you know, you have to have a different angle if you're going to be sports illustrated and I think somebody will see value in the brand. But I talked to somebody at the Athletic that worked a long time at the Athletic today and they said at the Athletic looked at it and decided they couldn't make money with it. They didn't know how to make money out of that business. But somebody's got to figure that out. You know, there's something in the brand. You know, I just, I just think like it's really kind of sad. I don't mean to sound like an old person here, but like, remember when Borders and Barnes and Noble went through a big time when the bookstores got they're in real trouble because of Amazon. Yeah, Borders, you know, went away. Barnes and Noble found a way. Mm-hmm. Then came Toys R Us. Toys R Us got gutted, and now Toys R Us is like a pop up in some inside mm-hmm. of other stores. It's not the toy store that it once was and again Amazon um, I I'm looking at Sports Illustrated going away and there's just a loss of nostalgia I had the covers of Sports Illustrated all over my bedroom wall had them wallpapered and it's there's just a loss of that nostalgia and that connection that's just uh, it's kind of sobering to but me.
15: but I don't think it had to happen like they had a good product did they not and they I, yeah. just didn't like like many newspapers they didn't, didn't adapt. They didn't adapt, and they didn't see what was on the horizon, and they didn't figure out a way to monetize their fantastic content.
2: What they should have done is gone all in. Like I, I, this exchange I had today, again with a former Sports Illustrated staff member, who was there in the heyday of Sports Illustrated, and then went on to the Athletic, and is now working somewhere else. And I said, you know, you know, if I, I think people will pay for unique content if yeah. they can't get anywhere else. JohnConzano dot com. Great example of that. Can you scale that? Could you put together 20 of the best writers in the country and say this product is just going to kick ass. It is going to be just the best sports publication out there. It won't be daily. It's going to be weekly. Could you do that and have the magazine still feel special? Or do you have to buy into here's what's going on today, every day, we're in the now, we're breaking news. Is there a blend? And can you monetize it?
15: I believe you can. I believe it's possible. Because I believe people will still support quality writing and quality journalism, especially sports fans who are fervent about what they love.
2: This individual said to me, look at what you're doing. You know, people are really supporting you, and people are reading you at a higher level than ever before, and that's got to feel really good. And I said, yes. I said, but is it scalable? Can you do it with a staff of 20? And would people really get behind it? You know, I kind of hope you would. But that getting that magazine every Thursday was such a thrill. Yeah. Got in the mailbox. And I'm not talking about February in the swimsuit issue. <laughs> Get that out of your head. <laughs> Although that was a delight in, you know, in the cold part of the year.
5: Number five.
15: Okay. Let's finish with the Cowboys cheerleaders. They're not happy. Well, obviously their team lost, but they are really displeased with how several Green Bay Packers players acted during the Packers win Mm. Uh, one of the cheerleaders who just finished her fifth season with the team hopped on social media this week to explain why the Packers players behavior was so unacceptable he said she said that they've never experienced such disrespect They would be minding their own business. The Packers would score a touchdown. This is one example. Then they would come up to the cheerleaders, stand on the sidelines, and just start yelling at them. Hmm. They would be standing face-to-face yelling at the cheerleaders. And her (laughs) point is, she feels like it's unsportsmanlike conduct, and it's crazy. The Cowboys players can't do that. To you know, other players, but they can do it to cheerleaders and nothing's gonna happen.
2: Don't taunt the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders for crying out loud. That's kind of low, that's un American, you know. (laughs) It's un American, it is (laughs) what are they, commies, you know. (laughs) Oh my gosh, (laughs) it's true. If you're yelling at the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, (laughs) they gotta wonder about your soul. Kate okay, McCarthy. Let's run them, run them out of the country. <laughs> that's oh, that's the five at five on this beautiful Friday. Anna, what did you learn this week? What did you learn <sighs> about just in general? What have I learned? Yeah, I like to ask that on a Friday of myself. I, yeah. Every Friday, I every Friday. Yeah. In my own head, uh-huh. I say, "What did I learn this week?" Yeah. I do that. Yeah. You didn't know that. No, oh, you've been married to me. No, I
15: didn't know that. You think I'm
2: just walking around talking to myself for no reason. Well, you do a lot of talking to yourself. Well, yeah. I always go, what did I learn? Mm-hmm. What did I learn? And I and and I always learn something. Like you know, some weeks like I like remember we had that cold snap a couple of years ago. Yeah, I learned I wasn't very tough.
15: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you learned. I had that a day and you a half. Really don't like being cold. I had a day
2: and a half where I was like, I could do this forever. Uh-huh. You know, and then I was like, nope. Yeah. So, yeah, what did you learn this week?
15: Um, I learned that uh, water, cornstarch, and chia seeds in food coloring does not combine for great slime, despite the insistence of our seven and ten, hmm. seven and nine year old.
2: Interesting, uh
15: huh. Yeah, they really thought that that was going to work out for them, and it did not. Oh, I also learned today that the Miss US, I learned this today early this morning. The Miss USA pageant has lifted its age restrictions for becoming Miss USA. You used to have to be under 28 years old, not married, no kids, or things like that, and they've just blown out all of those rules. There's no age limit now. Wait anybody a minute. Anybody, any female can go for Miss USA now. Yeah, yeah. Age is not a factor. They,
2: they should have a cougar division. Don't you think?
15: <laughs> well, I don't know. Because they're just saying it just doesn't matter anymore. Anybody can. Oh,
2: that's going to be a great apply. matchup. That'll be a matchup. Yeah. Like you know, if you get like about a forty-two-year-old and a twenty-four-year-old. Yeah. That's going to be a hell of a showdown. Yeah. You know, they've just
15: blown open the doors. Anyone can apply now. And, and I wonder if like certain-
2: the mom the mom division, you know. Yeah, but I wonder if certain states might skew a little older. Like you know what, what I mean? Like, like Florida what? and Arizona, <laughs> like- you know. Get a You know, get some 40s and 50s in there. <laughs> you know, oh, look out, here come the cougar states, uh, you know. Oh, it'll make it, it'll make it a little, why, why did they do that? They're going to get sued or something for age discrimination? I don't know. Maybe they weren't having enough people uh, apply, you know. Does that mean prior winners can come back or runners up can come back? No, I think they have rules around that. Wow. But, you know. So the age yeah. division is off. Uh-huh. So what limits are there?
15: No, really, none. Really. There's no height yeah. requirement. No, no height requirement. Just uh, can you prance down the runway in a swimsuit and look Wait, confident?
2: Does that is that the one that includes the swimsuit or n- doesn't? Yeah, like Miss one USA. of them doesn't, it's right? Miss
15: USA, no, Miss America and Miss USA both have swimsuit. They do. Yes, uh,
2: shows you what I know. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Anna, for that great update. Yeah. And what did you learn? Yeah, that's it. that's it. it? Yeah. Save yeah, him. did you learn? That's anything? my
15: public service announcement. If you thought if that was if that age thing was the thing that was holding you back from applying to become Miss USA, it's no what longer. What was the a prior limit? Twenty-eight.
2: Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. And you had to be single, no kids.
15: Yeah, there's some there's some weird uh, rules like that that used to be apparently in play.
1: Yeah.
2: Wow, I'm just wondering. Like, there's some 29 year old out there that's just like,
15: yes, this is my time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I thought... They had an, emo- em- they
1: had an emotional 28-year-old la- last year, like, oh, this is my last year in the pageant. Yeah. Now, that, now they're excited because yeah. they're going to they come back.
2: I'm too yeah. old to go to Coachella, but I can still be in the <laughs> Miss USA pageant. The announcement reads,
15: huge <laughs> news, married women, previously married women, moms, and any female over 28 can now be Miss USA. Congratulations,
2: used- everyone. There used to be, like... You know, NFL running backs are the same way. At about 29, that's it. Your career is kind of winding down. Yeah. And the same goes for the pageant. So now, NFL running backs are probably going to go, hey, what about us? You know, can't be a (laughs) 30-year-old running back, but you can be a 30-year-old Miss USA.
15: Yeah. forty even.
2: Well, we'll see what happens with that. Do you think it changes anything, really? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't. I can't wait. Well, we'll see. A little more seasoning. In the tournament. So here we go. All right, we'll talk NFL playoffs coming up. Leave it here. What did I learn this week? Well, I learned that Alabama might not still be Alabama. I also learned this week that uh, the uh, coaching salaries uh, that we have seen escalate over the years, especially in recent years, are not coming back down to earth, even despite some of the teams and programs saying, hey, we don't have the budget we used to have, we're not getting the meteorites money we used to have. Looks like Washington and Arizona still willing to uh, open the pocketbook, uh, even though we're going to see players presumably sharing as employees, sharing in the profits. Doesn't look like the coaching salaries are going to be coming down. You know, we heard Jim Harbaugh say, Yeah, I'd be happy to share, I'd be happy to take less money while he's interviewing with the NFL. Um, what did you learn this week, Stephen?
1: Yeah, those are all good ones. Um, You know, I learned – I want to say you learned that Alabama may not be the same. I learned that the transfer portal is just starting. Man, everybody enters the transfer portal now. It doesn't matter how good, how bad you are. You look at the smaller conference teams. uh, You take a team like Liberty, their quarterback. He entered the portal. He then went back to Liberty. You just never know who's going to be on the roster year after year. So I've learned, like, I can't can't project what I think teams are going to be next season until I officially see – the portal end like because there's just so much movement going on right now, everybody's in area, So, it, I'm still getting used to the whole portal thing, John. I, I'm still not used to it. So, I, I learned I need to get more used to
2: it. It's worse than the NFL because, in the it's NFL, it's harder than the NFL. Yeah, in the NFL, you know who's under contract and who's not. These are the guys that are in the NBA, you know, these are the guys that have a restricted free agent, unrestricted free agent. You know, everybody, and there's no contract, so everybody's just a free agent. And it makes it really hard for the coaches and for the fans, too. Um, But uh, I also learned this week, how about um, TCU women's basketball? Sedona Prince, former Oregon Duck. She's got a broken finger, and she's been out. And TCU held open tryouts on their own campus this week.
3: Sedona Prince explained it. TCU versus Baylor a huge top 25 matchup. Um, We start the game, I tip the ball, and I kid you not, seven seconds into the game, I didn't see a pass coming towards me. It hit my finger and shattered my ring finger on my right hand. Seven seconds into the game, boom. Just like that, starting center is out for seven weeks. We ended up losing to Baylor and the next two games, but on January 13th, the girls headed down to Houston to try and scrap out a win, and boom. On a non-contact play, um, our starting point guard, who is leading the country and assists a turnover ratio, uh, tore her ACL and meniscus and is out for the season. Then the next day, um, our backup center gets an MRI and decides that, yep, it is imperative for her to get a surgery that is season ending. The girls came back to Fort Worth pretty sad and beaten up, rightfully so, but the season is constant. And so we jumped right back into prepping for our next game. And you wouldn't believe it, but it only took a couple days for another one of our girls to get hurt, and now she's out indefinitely. Um, All of that, plus one of our girls not being able to play because of massive feet issues, and then another girl fracturing her feet, and one of the girls is dealing with some health stuff, general pain and stuff before she gets to come back to play, and our other teammate left before Christmas to deal with some family stuff. We ended up only having six players ready to play and suit up against K-State, so they said, nope, that's dangerous, canceled forfeit automatic two losses, which will take over an injury any day, any day. All in all, here we are, open tryouts, happening tonight, literally right now, uh, for any women TCU students who wanna be a basketball player for the rest of the season, I'm pumped. Can't wait. I'll make sure to introduce you guys to our new teammates. And in the meantime, please pray for all the injuries that are happening right now to our team. It's just really unlucky. Um, But, yeah, keep everyone in your thoughts and pray for TCU WBB for real.
2: Reminds me of several programs that we have seen that played with walk-ons and played with uh, players that, uh, you know, they didn't have enough scholarships. But TCU, uh, Mark Campbell, former assistant at Oregon State in Oregon, and, uh, Guy, I, I think you uh you know, Campbell a little bit, didn't you, Steven? Yeah, I do. He, uh, he was my
1: assistant coach when I played at Clackamas Community College. So I, I know Mark really well. Love that guy. He's a really good coach. I know, uh, a lot of Oregon State fans don't like him because, uh, he, you know, he was at, he was at Pepperdine after he left Clackamas Community, Pepperdine Boys. Um, then he went over to Oregon State Women's and helped build that program, and then left to go to the Ducks. So I know a lot of, uh, B fans, I, yeah, hold it against but him. The Duck
2: fans are mad at him too because he left Oregon and left Kelly staff and he, Left some wreckage behind there, too, because, you know, he lost, Oregon pretty much lost a recruiting class when Campbell left. And, I, you know, Scott Ruick has weathered that storm. Oregon State women's program looks like it's got its feet back underneath it, you know, but. Yeah, and uh, he's, I mean,
1: he's one of the yeah. best recruiters in the nation. Like, it's not even debatable that what he did to TCU, TCU has been a bad program. He brought in a ton of transfers and he's going to be getting a bunch of recruits there. I, like, I expect TCU to be one of the top teams in the nation here soon, as
2: long as he stays there, if he doesn't go somewhere else. Including Sedona Prince, former Oregon Duck, now at TCU. So interesting to kind of watch that. If unfold. you were, uh, if you were a, a woman on the TCU campus, John, would you be trying out for the team? I, I mean, I don't because you're, you're not, not going to. You're I not going to play. You're
1: not going to play. You're just. You're just going to be a practice be on the
2: player. Tier? Yeah, go be on the team. You know, why it's not? a lot
1: of work just to be a practice player though, and then not even get in the game. I don't know.
2: I'm thinking about my kid at you know, she's going to school yeah. at Oregon State. She's way over involved, okay? She's just she's working a job, she's worked at a variety of different things on campus, she's involved in a bunch of clubs. She's way too involved. I, I gotta tell her, hey, don't be afraid to be a college kid. You know, just focus on you know, you're gonna have the rest of your life to to have all this pressure on you. Then you add basketball um, player on top of it and kid yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, uh, the news story out of Arizona as well. I want to touch on this. Um, Arizona booster, Humberto Lopez, apparently a big NIL supporter. Um, this is 13 News in Arizona, reporting on uh, reporting on the NIL problem that's going on at
13: Arizona. I came back, I came in with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing, and uh, I am that's my word.
8: But Wednesday, he was spotted with many of the most recognizable Wildcats. Noah and T-Mac and Bert was talking to them, talking about, you know, probably saying you should stay at the University of Arizona. <laughs> so why is Lopez hanging with some of Wildcats' biggest stars? It starts with his influence in NIL, a longtime friend and former co-chair of employment in the athletic department, Lopez has pitched in to help the Wildcats, including being part of the group to fund coaches' salaries, like for Jed Fish.
13: He told me how much he wanted to stay, so I said, if you stay, would you shake my hand and look my eye, if I can get to what you're looking for? And he said, yes. Safe to
8: say, Fish's decision didn't please Lopez.
13: I'm very disappointed with Jed Fish. Uh, I thought he was a friend, I thought he was a man of his word. We shook hands.
8: Now, Lopez is focusing on keeping some of the players Fish is trying to take.
13: Right now, he's desperate to get some of the players back, so we're trying very hard to keep them. He's throwing all kinds of money at them.
8: Lopez co-founded the Friends of Wilbur and Wilma NIL Collective, which helps to connect student-athletes with business opportunities, a key to making money in NIL and swaying transfers. But as Lopez has found, not all schools are created equal.
13: You know, obviously we cannot afford what Washington can throw, can throw around. But.
8: but Bert is just trying to show them it's more than just the money.
13: We're trying very hard to be friends, be honest with them, be open. Uh, and uh, I told I'll mentor you throughout your life as long as I'm alive and help you throughout your career. So they, they have a friend in me.
8: Something his peers say hopefully should get the job done. But if I were in their shoes and I had someone like Burt looking out for me, I'd stay right here in Tucson. So thanks for doing that.
2: There you go. Uh, A lot of problems, obviously, with people who feel jilted by Jed Fish. He shook their hands. He took their money. They supported the NIL Collective. And now that coach is gone and preaching that message somewhere else. But isn't that true of all places? Like the coach, you're given to the program. You're given to your school. You might be feeling like you're supporting a coach or a player, but you're really supporting your school. Do you
1: think that's worse though that he said he talked to Jet Fish said, "Hey, hey Fish, if I get you this number, will you stay?" He says, "Yes," shakes a hand, got him that number, and then he left
2: anyways. Does that make it worse a worse look on Jet Fish? It is, but I think a coach, a lot of coaches do that stuff, you know. I'd be honest, like in 30 years of doing this job, there have been a number of coaches where, you know, I I'm well aware they're real friendly to me they're real accessible to me and but i'm well aware that they're you know they know they they need me and you know and and so i i don't play that game with them but boosters i think it's hard because it's your school and you feel like in this era you're you're doing something to help a coach help a program you think that's part of the calculus for the coach you shake hands on it and then you know, the coach ends up going another direction. I could see how your feelings would be hurt and you'd feel jilted.
1: And it was interesting because they were talking about how uh, the quarterback Fafita and the receiver T-Mac, they were saying how, you know, um, Lopez was seen with them at the Arizona basketball game. And everyone kind of knew like, oh, like they're trying to figure out a way to keep them at Arizona. Now that Jetfish left, because, you know, Jetfish is probably saying, hey, I need a quarterback here at Washington. I need a star receiver at Washington. And now they're trying to keep uh keep their guys down in Tucson because they got a good team, John. It's like it's it's a tough spot for all these teams that lose their coach, man. You it's a whole new recruiting game. It's not even just recruiting the new players. You got to recruit every single player on your team. I just it is a lot right now to be a college football coach.
2: Yeah, and I think uh there's obviously a lot of problems, a lot of new challenges, and I think the boosters and donors are trying to keep up with it in the same way the coaches and media are frankly. All right, coming up, we'll take a last look at the NFL games for the weekend. I want you to tell me, which game are you most looking forward to see? What do you want to learn this weekend? And what did you learn this week? 503-417-7575. Well, just to recap, you got uh, the Bills trying to break through in the playoffs, not the regular season, the playoffs where it counts on Sunday in Buffalo, Where, uh, you know, the Bills, you know, they feel like this is their moment. Getting the Chiefs once again. Bills uh, tackle Deion Dawkins talking about the opportunity.
12: It could be different. It's usually different, but ball is ball. Like, we don't want to make it rocket science and expect, like, a giant spaceship to come down. Like, no. Like, we understand that those players are championship players. They are breaded by a championship Foundation and they've been winning and they've showed it. So we understand that they play with just a different type of swagger, and uh, it's cool because we do too. And uh, we understand that um, it's two great teams playing, and uh, this is why I chose to play football was to play against the best. And they have shown in many ways that they are great, just as what, just as like well as us. So you know, just be ready for a, a gritty, gritty football game you know really really gritty gritty
2: really gritty no spaceships um i i would actually like to see a spaceship come down and land during that game um if that could happen like to see it that'd be pretty entertaining um that said i think it's buffalo's time it's there you know there's a season for all things you get teams that sniff around success before they truly break through i've always said that i believe it um i think there's a variety of of indicators that that kind of experience helps your team. Michigan, a wonderful example of that, in this year's college football playoff championship game, you had some Michigan players who had been there, had some disappointment. Get back, get back to the playoff, get into the championship. You know the stage was not too big for them. Buffalo's at home in this game, and I think we're all picking the Bills, but we got to see it. They got to go out and do it. Uh, meanwhile in San Francisco Kyle Shanahan dealing with the fact that the 49ers, you know, they didn't have to play at the end of the regular season. Rested guys had a week off last week in the wild card round. Kyle Shanahan kind of juggling, you know. Uh do you do you put a lot of stock in the fact that you could be resty or how do you view it? They got the Packers on Saturday.
9: Um not much. I I think we've had
1: some dominant performances. We've had when we've had none rests, and I think we played bad when we've had none no rests. Sorry, that was not educated. educated. Um, but it's, I mean, you try to go with how you feel your team is, and uh, our team's ready to go. So excited to see how we play.
2: Excited to see how they play as well, and they get a Packers team that has Jordan Love, who has just been a better quarterback in the last uh, nine weeks. Twenty one touchdowns, one interception. You know, clearly his head coach Matt LaFleur liking what he sees.
9: Jordan Love, wow. That was that's about all I can say, Pete, is wow. Um what he did and the poise he shows, the command he shows, the the, the touchdown pass to Dontavian Wicks. Um it was an all out look. We were obviously in an empty set for him to hang in there and get that throw, and Wick's made a hell of a catch. But those are, those are things that uh, you, you just can't necessarily, you can try to coach it, but what a moment for him. Um, to me, that was a big time play. It just shows the growth that he's had uh, from his first start versus KC to now. Um, just so proud and happy for him. Uh, he, is, he, he is, he's a dude. He is a real dude. He's
2: a dude. He's playing well, but he's playing against a rested San Francisco defense that uh, has given some teams fits.
1: I got a question for you, John, real quick about that game. Uh, if you're if you're a Forty Nine er fan, are you almost more worried that the you, the Forty Nine ers playing the Packers rather than the Cowboys? Because you look back earlier this year, Cowboys Forty Nine ers, Forty Nine ers won forty two to ten, uh, and then last year in the playoffs, Forty Nine ers you know beat them in the playoffs. Is it one of those things where the unknown may be a little more scary than actually, you know, the somewhat better team? As the Cowboys were better on paper than the Packers, but now that the fortnites have already dominated them, now you're playing a team in the Packers where you don't know much about this team, and, and especially how young they are, how you know how green they are with uh, Jordan Love back there. Is it a little more? Uh, if you're a Niner fan, are you a little more nervous about this one than you would be if
2: they played the Cowboys? Totally, because you know the Cowboys, you know they're a known enemy. They're a known quantity. Dak Prescott, you know what he is. You know what the Cowboys are on offense, defense, and you know they got a boob for an owner.
9: Uh, I think that's part of leadership is to have some of the guys that have gone before that uh, have been disappointed uh, to share it with everybody involved. For me, it's a reminder. I, too, have been here 23 years, and uh, it is a reminder. I've been here when it was glory hole days, and I've been here when it wasn't. And so having said that, uh, uh, I want me some glory (laughs) hole. So I have that perspective.
2: Yeah, Jerry Jones, you got that guy, right? So you you know who the Cowboys are. You know they're a bumbling organization that will be in their own way. And there's a little, you know, it's not just that, you know, the Packers had a good game, knocked the Cowboys out. It's not just that. The Niners struggled with Lamar Jackson, and Jordan Love can move. He's not, you know, he's not a uh, guy who's going to stand in the pocket, and, you know, he can move around a little bit. And so I do kind of wonder, from a defensive standpoint, if the Packers will put some pressure on the Niners. Because, you know, Love he's been very good in the last eight or nine games. He was great against the Cowboys, but... That Niners pass rush is going to test him, and but I still, Steven, I still think the Niners win by double digits. I think their offense will be too much for the Packers defense in the end.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. I just I feel like I'm with you also with it's more fear of the Packers just because you haven't seen them in this matchup and the way Jordan Love has been playing. I mean, you mentioned it was the last eight weeks, one interception, something like that. You know, he's been unbelievable, and I think Matt Lafleur has really shined and flourished now that Aaron Rodgers is out. Um, and he's had you know a blank slate and Jordan Love, and he gets to you know t- teach him how to what to read where Aaron Rodgers was changing plays. Aaron Rodgers was running the offense. This is the floor written all over it. And I think the same thing with Kyle Shanahan with Brock Purdy is one of those things where Shanahan can really teach Purdy what he needs to do. And then you look at these coaches, man, they know how to coach quarterbacks, and it's fun to see two young quarterbacks like this get good coaching and actually thrive in their situations.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, you know I'm going to be watching all the games, of course. Um, the other game that, you know, is super interesting to me on Sunday, obviously the two games, you got the Buccaneers and the Lions, a lot of emotion there, a little bit of a wild card with Baker Mayfield and that, you know, it's just a comeback story. It's a renaissance for Baker Mayfield, but can the Buccaneers beat the Lions? Can they upset the Lions in Detroit? Stephen A. Smith, can they?
11: Hell no. Can't see it. Mm Mm-mm. Because I think that you're going to have to put up a significant chunk of points to beat this Detroit Lions team. They can run the football. They can throw the football. I'm in Ross St. Brown. I mean, we, we know that this brother can ball. We know that Jared Goff has guided the team to a Super Bowl. And he's looked even better now than he ever looked in the Los Angeles Rams uniform as far as I'm concerned. I'm looking at the, at the personnel that they have. I'm looking at them being a top five team in the NFL in points per game, yards per game, and red zone efficiency. So let's not forget all of that.
2: Yeah, there you go. Um, I I like Detroit, but I'm gonna watch.
1: <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of interesting. It's it's just so weird, and I and this is a this is a Stephen problem that I just look at the Lions and I think, man, it's the Detroit Lions. Like, I know. can I really trust them to get I to know. the NFC title game? I mean, I want to, but it's like I've seen the Lions fail so many times, and I know that they should beat the Bucks. But John, it, this would be such a definition of a Lions game right here if they just come out, they look flat, and the Buccaneers get them
2: somehow. I keep seeing the Bad News Bears, the music that was playing, and Buttermaker in the dugout. You know, I just uh, – Dan Campbell, though, in Detroit, he, he's, not, he's not Walter Matthau.
10: And so there's only three left here, but it all starts with one. And, and that's really the process all year. No matter where you're at, if you lost one, you won five in a row, now you're in the playoffs. Man, it's all about the one in front of you. You, you have to stay focused on that. So everything we've got, full focus on this game, do your job one more time, uh, for any of the butterflies, all of that of the first playoff game ever for a lot of guys and get the monkey off your back. Well, now now you're in a second playoff game. Now you've got experience in that. Uh, you understand the environment. You understand what our house is going to be like, uh, which is electric, which should give you a surge of energy. Um, and so I, 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 think, uh, I think this is good, but it's all focused on one.
2: There it is, down to one game, one at a time, one week at a time. Chip Kelly said it. Biggest game this week, Super Bowl this week, every week. Uh, Dan Campbell adopting that uh, in the NFL. Uh, Finally, um, let's go to Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was asked how he's feeling in front of tomorrow's playoff game. Here's the Ravens QB.
7: Very loose out there. Is that kind of how you feel right now? Absolutely. Um,
2: You know, we had some time
12: off to uh, regroup, um, lock back in, hype, antsy, antsy. Cordell.
2: There, he's antsy and ready. Ravens-Texans coming up tomorrow. Uh, my winners. I'm going with all the home teams. I'm, I, I just think this is going to be very predictable. All the favorites, all the home teams. Um, I think the, the two teams that I'm most interested in seeing I believe that they can play closer than the spread, or I think Houston can play within the 9.5 against the Ravens. And I, I think the Packers are interesting. So I think the two Saturday games are kind of interesting to see. If you take the underdog, you know, could they do it? But I'm not putting my money on it. I just, I, I think I'm picking the four home teams. I think it's going to be really business as usual. Favorites win. How about you, Stephen?
1: Yeah, home teams. Um, I think Houston's a little live, but yeah, give me all the home teams. Chalky.
2: There he goes. He said it cooler than I could have. All right, the Bald faced Truth not here for a long time. Just a good time. We'll see you on Monday.